What is up, everybody? Welcome back. Run Your Mouth Podcast. Once again, we're going video. The latest and greatest in internet technology. No one's doing video podcasts. We're getting in the market first, making sure we get in on the YouTube audience. So here you are, YouTube people watching the video. Video brought to you. This isn't free to do. It's not like you can just roll endless tape and keep letting it roll, roll, roll. Tape costs money. And that's why we need sponsors like the Shedcast, the place where I'm standing right now. Good people. Go listen to their podcast. I'm on there most weeks, probably the last 10 weeks in a row. Haven't missed an episode yet. Go check out the Shedcast. Go get yourself some Kratom. If you take Kratom, wear sheath underwear, and listen to the Shedcast at the same time, good things are going to happen for you. What are those good things? I'm not going to get so specific so that anything good that happens in the future, you can go, hey, that Rob guy didn't lie to me. This good thing just happened in my life because I wore sheath, listened to the Shedcast, and took Kratom. But it's got to be from your Kratom. If you take other Kratom, it's more like a curse. Bad things are going to happen. I don't want bad things to happen to you. So make sure that you get the cheapest Kratom on the internet for 60, uh, 60 bucks a kilo. Before we get into the news news, and we're going to get into the news. There's a lot of news. I'm not going to not bring you the news. That's what we do here. I got some personal news. We're going to do personal news and then new news. So the first personal news I got is uh, Mike Nice. He came over, uh, was it Friday night or Saturday night? I think it was Saturday night, right? Saturday night. Uh, we, we Oculus quested for hours. We, we, we were in 3D. We were jerking each other off, getting loaded off of beers. And the best part about smoking weed are those rare occurrences when you just laugh your ass off. And it always happens when you're in situations where, like, you can't quite laugh. That For some reason, when you're not allowed to laugh, that's when, and, like, you're trying to hold it in, it puts you right back to being in grade school when, like, a kid farts in class and you know you're not supposed to laugh and you just can't hold it in. At, like, 3 in the morning, me and Mike Nice were, uh, you know, I finally got him to leave my apartment. We had jerked each other off dry. There was no reason to hang out anymore. No, I was passing out on him. He's got better sea legs for partying than I do. So we go to leave the apartment, and we're passing the mail stuff. Now, Mike, he's got this weird thing where he's just obsessed with mail. I don't get it. He won't stop talking about mail. He knows all the ins and outs in mail. should just go fucking work for the mail people. I don't know why he's so obsessed with mail. It's fucking weird. And I don't know why we start talking about mail, but I told him I've been living in this building for four months and I've never checked my mail. And Mike's like, you probably have so much mail. And I'm like, no, I've never given anybody this address. There's no reason why anyone would send me mail. I don't have any mail. He goes, I promise you there's so much mail in there and your mail guy probably hates you. So it's three in the morning and the mailbox is right next to a neighbor's door. And I'm like, all right, let's go. I opened this thing out and it was like a cartoon how much fucking mail came out of this thing. It just started pouring out. And then me and him just started fucking dying laughing. And we were like right next to my neighbor's door. I had to like pick this stuff up and try and like shove it back in. And then we just basically, we threw out a lot of someone else's mail. I don't know the legality of that, but lucky for me and him, neither of us work for the mail department. So, you know, we don't have to worry about all the mail that we threw out at three in the morning. Oh, but here was the other thing. This is what's so fun about blacking out. I'd forgotten about that until like three days later, I was walking in that entrance of my building. I passed the mail stuff and I'm like... It's almost like a dream where I was like, something happened by this mailbox recently. And I was like, right, right, right. All that mail fell out and I was fucking cracking up. And now I, I got to start like leaving. It's almost, you know, that, what was that? Uh, what was the story? Hansel and Gretel, where they leave the little breadcrumbs for themselves. When something really great happens while blacked out, I got to like take a picture of it or I don't know, put a wrapper in my pocket, just something. You got to like do something to let yourself know. Uh, in other news, I'm uh, ramping up my de- my dating efforts because my cookie consumption is getting out of control. I'm going to be fat by summer. Uh, and I'm also noticing from living alone, I think uh, what's nice about living alone, you get to do whatever the fuck you want whenever you want to do it. I think what's bad is over time, 
you start piling on some habits that if anyone else were to see would be fucking weird. So one of the things I've noticed, that's pre- I don't like paying for heat. I know that that's like, because I feel like heat, you don't get anything from it. You use it and it's gone. It's not like an investment where you get more heat if you're using your heat. And it doesn't make me feel good. You know, like if I jerk off, I feel good. If I eat cookies, I feel good. If I use the heat, I'm just not cold. That doesn't like do anything for me. So I I just really, I got to get a girl because I'm already not used to having heat all winter. And there's not a bitch in the world that doesn't get cold. We can all agree on that, right? You want to get your dick sucked. You got to learn how to deal with the heat problem. I almost got to like start doing the annoying girlfriend. I don't know. All right, moving on. Let's get into the actual news. That's why we don't talk about personal news all that much. We've got three guests coming on the show. That's like three more than usual. Uh, So you can look forward to some interesting conversations. We're going to talk Bitcoin. We're going to talk about uh, uh, all that shit that's going on in computer tech land that they're taking everybody off the internet. Uh, And then we're going to talk to an actual uh, lawyer, a legal scholar who's going to you know, break down some stuff for us. Um, first thing I want to talk about Biden man's calling for unity and I want to regrow my hair just so I can pull that shit out. There's nothing more infuriating than hearing from all these politics. Like you stole an election, you disenfranchise half the country. You're not going to represent these people. And then you're going to, you know, take them off the internet if they don't say and do everything that you want to do in the name of unity. It's like, we're going to be inclusive but not, we're not going to reflect your values, but it, we're unifying. We're unifying around the idea that we don't want a government that has anything to do with you. Uh, and along the lines of the calls for unity, uh, this was, I read this in a New York Post article. I didn't actually watch the video, but Jim Jordan was sparring with some Democrat and the Democrat said the following line to him. This is from a New York Post article. He said the line, we're trying to bring this nation together. Jim, Jim, geez, Jim. Jeez. Yeah. Jim. It's like cheese. <laughs> uh, Perlmuter begged. I guess that's the guy's name. What a terrible name. I really just want to bring this back together, which is amazing that after, you know, years of talking about uh, how terrible Trump is not respecting the, the will of the voting public that they put the guy in office. Now it's all about, Hey, we just got to unify against the new president. You know, we gotta, we gotta bring this whole country together. So no more playing this divisive politics game. It's infuriating after what they did for four fucking years that we're going to hear about how we just all got to support this guy who's in charge and we got to unify. And let's be honest, if president Trump wasn't, does anything in the fucking country change to all of a sudden, do we all have jobs? Are we all getting our dick sucked on Tuesdays? Can everyone wear sheath underwear all the time? That's not realistic. That's not what's going to happen. The problem in our country was not that Trump was not off. It's not going to change anything. This is fictional. Oh, we're going to heal. The Trump is gone. Or we're going to have a ceremony. We're going to, we're going to sing songs and all of our loved ones are going to come back and everything's going to be perfect. Not going to happen. The other thing I was enjoying in this uh, tale of unity and moving on was you guys might remember uh, Comey, old head of the FBI, tall guy, always talks like he's giving a demonstration to kindergartners about if they were molested. He's got like that just tone of that everything, you know, like something horrible happened, but he's describing it in a very calm way, like everything's going to be okay. If you were touched, you, you do, you talk to the teacher, it's always like something real bad happened. So Comey. He and Trump, they've been at fucking odds. These are people that don't get along. Trump even had him fired. If you don't remember, Comey probably put together or was part of the deep state operation to invent this whole Russia collusion story, undermine Donald Trump's basically entire presidency. 
But even he's coming forward and going, quit looking backwards. Let's just move on. We need Biden to get in there and we need him to uh, pardon Trump so that we can heal and move on. And it's real convenient for this guy to be like, hey, we're, let's not look backwards anymore. We don't need to look in the past. We don't need to look at that deep state CIA collusion thing that I invented. Let's just move on. That's what we need right now. What a fucking piece of shit. Moving forward. Um... All outrage is on deck right now. Every single angle, everyone's playing into the, this great mall walk of America where people got into the Capitol building without waiting online. It's the most horrific thing that ever happened. It is proof. The fact that they got in there and didn't do all that much is proof of the violence that will take place in America. And so it's all hands on deck. Everyone's got to talk about how outrageous this is. So you had the Wall Street Journal. They were getting into no... I mean, not Wall Street Journal. This is where I saw the article. It's actually from CNBC. Uh, all right, so all outrage is on deck. Everyone's got to talk about how upset they are with Donald Trump. This is a presidency. He's leading to chaos and violence. We can't support this man. So what are some of the incidents? Lenders said they're out, which actually that's the worst one because Donald Trump's entire infrastructure is built off the idea that he can keep on taking loans and debt. So the fact that some of the people that have been lending him money for his whole career are saying, hey, no more cash. That's going to be a problem for him. Wall Street said no more donations, but they said that to everyone in politics. They're like, we don't even want a part of the system. It seems like they don't want to have to give any money anymore. And they're like, uh, this is getting bad. We want out. Payment processors not giving Trump his donation monies. Uh, then you've got sites like Amazon just taking off entire platforms in the internet. Then you had New York City took away Donald Trump's contracts. And then you got golf events will not be taking place at Mar-a-Lago, which sucks. That's all Trump wanted to do. He wants to cheat in golf games. He wants to get mad at Melania for redecorating some of the places that he already decorated. He's like, I had this uh, looking all perfectly Trump. And then you come in here while I'm uh, trying to solve the world's problems at the Oval Office and redecorate. I didn't purchase you from a third world country to come in here and redecorate my house. That's not what you're here for. Uh, and with Donald Trump getting kicked off all these platforms, I, I mean, what's he going to do after the presidency? Go go to Russia and open up business there? They're really going to force him into that hole and go, look, he was he, like, he, this is his last chance to basically give Putin the handout so that there's some place that he can still do some business. Anyways, Nancy Pelosi, man, she's going in for the double impeachment. One impeachment wasn't enough. If he had been president long enough, Nancy Pelosi probably could have gotten the impeachment hat trick. And what's the point of impeaching this guy? They keep saying like, hey, it's the voting will of the public and the, the public didn't want him. We're going to heal the country. And we're going to move on. But first we got to, we got to talk and shame Trump some more. We're not ready to move on just yet. We can kick him one more time. And the whole thing doesn't even make sense. He's already going to be out by the time they impeach him. I don't know what good this does. I don't know what the point of it is. Biden's over there. He's trying to spend two, three trillion dollars he's trying to make sure that he can print as much money as he can and get it to the people and now you're not even letting him do his job because you gotta you gotta double impeach trump it's not enough that you stole the election from him uh you gotta get rid of him all right now last week i was saying i feel like trump's got some blame here because he did rile the people up and i thought it was of low character that after he riled them up he said you guys are on your own never want you to do anything like that I do think holding him accountable and the way that they are, that he specifically went out there with the intent to have them overthrow the Capitol, that seems unfair, particularly being that he condemned it immediately. He didn't take place in it and he didn't try and get other people, like he did not try to violently overthrow the government. And if he did, that is how bad Trump is at executing anything that it basically turned into a great mall walk. They didn't go, oh, look, we got the Capitol. We can take over the whole thing. Everyone get out of your houses. We're doing it. He didn't do that. He condemned him immediately. 
Uh, but one of the lines that they were pointing to, to say, here's the evidence that Trump was trying to overthrow us, was that he was using this line of, we don't have a country. And you can go back down the Run Your Mouth archive, one of my favorite, um, I'm sorry, favorite Rob's newsroom I ever did was on this line, we don't have a country. Uh, he was been saying it about a border wall, without a border wall, we don't have a country. And uh, I think it was one of the best Rob's newsrooms that we ever did, where I made fun of him for that line of, we don't have a country. But he's been saying that forever. That's just one of his classic lines. You can't really say that that line was an indicator of the fact that he meant violence. Now, the other thing that Trump has done, which is just so hilariously Trump, this is such a Cartman move, is that now he's saying he's been thrown off social media and he's like, hey guys, I just want to be able to tell people not to be violent. Social media is not letting me get out the world. We all need to come together right now and make sure that no one out there is being violent. If you would just let me back on Twitter, that's all I'm going to do. I won't even do any other tweets. I won't tell you, tell you that the election was fake. I won't tell you about how Hillary Clinton always smells like a queef. I'm not going to do those things. I just want to tell people not to be violent. If you would just let me back on your platforms and then he gets to go look at social media. I'm an important man and they won't even let me tell my own followers not to be violent. Such a hilarious Trump move. The other thing that's been exciting, a lot of Trump people are resigning. Let's be honest. They're just trying to take vacation a month early. That's all that is. You know that the thing's over. You don't want to stick around for the last month. You probably pick up your paycheck anyways, or you don't need the money. You want to cash in on whatever political favors you've done. You just don't want to be there for the last month. Uh, And then the other thing is they got some cops in trouble for, I guess, um, partying with the people that came into like the building, you know, the Capitol building, or maybe they were soldiers, security, whatever. What at that point, you're just making the best of a bad situation. Like if you're security at like a bank and the bank gets robbed and then you end up playing cards with the hostages, you know, you don't have to lose your job for that. The bank's already being robbed. They've already taken the hostages. You're there. If anything, you're calming them down by being cool. If like you're, if you're totally outmatched, you're just yelling at them. Like, what does it do? It's like being at that, you know, it's like being a prisoner of war or whatever at that point. All right. Now, the other thing that I would like to point out is the guy who, uh, oh no, this was a random, uh, internet video that I came across that I watched this like seven times this week. Cause I thought it was particularly funny. And it's the ad for the newest Lucas film. <laughs> Have you guys seen this? We want to eat snacks. So this had already been an internet video of this guy screaming and this guy creatively came in, does the, you know, gives it the metal background and it's hilarious. Go look this up. Where are you closed metal? But what I want to show you guys at the end of the video, so this guy, he stops screaming and then he gets upset at some of the other people who filmed him. So let's just watch that for a second.
<laughs> so you might be wondering, why is it that I play this silly internet video of you, for you, of this man screaming about how he needs his cheddar and the cops can remove his testicles because he will make a scene over the fact that he can't get into a certain entranceway to get some cheddar because there are people in this world that are fucking crazy. There are people that have nothing left in their lives but the ability to go in the afternoon and buy themselves some cheddar. And a locked door ruins their entire fucking day. And here's what's great about these crazy people. For the most part, they don't live very good lives. For the most part, I don't think they show up to jobs that they can handle. I think they probably don't have good relationships. I think most of their lives are pretty miserable. But you know where these people exceed? It's like every movie you've ever seen when you go to war and there's that one really crazy son of a bitch and they're like, ah, we're happy you're, you're on our side. And sometimes those guys are extreme risk takers in the movie. Sometimes they don't make it to the end. Sometimes they're the one guy they can just run through all that fucking enemy chaos and they're crazy. They don't give a shit. And so they come out as heroes. All of life? terrible at it you put them so you put like the guy who's like gonna I, I i don't know pull the jackass nuts like those guys they never could have worked fucking day jobs there are some people with extreme personalities that you put them it's like the add thing when things get fucking crazy they excel and so i want to take a look at a couple videos um from the guy who is uh at nancy's Pelosi's desk for this first video i'm not gonna play the whole video i just want to show you this guy um without a hat on because that's the power of hats uh and that's why i have a hat on myself because i learned from him you want to look 10 years younger you just got to throw a hat on this guy when he got his like his uh, his boots up on nancy's pelosi's desk and he's got that hat you know i could see that in a dating profile you look at this other one you're like all right i guess if i needed to hire a murder that's what that that's what that thing would be for so there was a longer version of this interview, which I can't find, but they were interviewing this guy. He took a envelope off of Nancy Pelosi's desk and they were asking him questions. What's more interesting than his take about the envelope is when they ask him questions, he has this moment, you can see it in his eyes, where he turns over and he's just furious. But let's just watch a couple of seconds of this. Nancy Bingo was here, you bitch. Now, how many of these fucking lunatics exist in this country? I'm just saying, if you wanted to, if you needed, if you started a fight and it was U.S. Army versus a lot of these crackpots, I'm betting on fucking crackpots. Like, those are the people you want on your sides are the fucking crazy idiots. And there's a lot of them. And, all right, here's another incident. Oh, no, no, here was this guy turning himself in. And you got to see, this is how unbelievably insane this guy is. So he's turning himself into jail. Um, so a man whose picture has been seen probably around now in federal at a five or one. We're told from the F. Just received booked in. Okay, so first you have him walking in. He turns around to scream at someone like, "Shut up, you bitch! I'm turning myself into jail." You, t you stay home. I'm going to jail. Then he walks up to the window of the cop and he goes, where the fuck's the jail cell? I want to be in that jail cell. You better let me into this jail. I'm ready to do my time. 
<laughs> this is who government is fucking with. All right, here's another great video of just how much people have lost their shit. Uh, this was a lady was was screaming at Chuck Schumer. And what's incredible about this lady um, screaming at Chuck Schumer is just how knowledgeable she is about politics. So here's Chuck Schumer. You know what she sounds like? Um, she sounds like who is uh Andy Kaufman's alter ego? She's got that cadence. Uh, what's that guy's name? Help me out here. You're my boy. You put me on track. <laughs> that was Mike Nice's greatest line in the shed. Um, Andy Cal. All right, we'll come back to it. But she talks like him. We'll we'll just look up the picture and post. Now, how many of these fucking crazy people are out there in this country that as we have less and less money are just going to be more and more insane? And the more that you tell them, hey, we're here for you. We just want them to be unified. I think what we're going to head for is all senators are going to have way more security. But I just find this stuff hilarious. And then here is Lindsey Graham. He's out in the airport. He's trying to get onto a flight. And he needs to be escorted, I guess, to a private area of the airport um, by security because you've got so many Trump people yelling at him for having sold out Trump. So I think my call for the future is everything's probably not getting better and government's going to spend more money on itself so that senators never have to be around normal human beings. Um, but in just in terms of uh, you want a positive outlook on revolution, just remember that the fucking insane people are on our side. Uh, all right, last topic, and then we're going to get into some of our guests. Um, the uh, Pentagon or someone just released a shit ton of uh, UFO news, and then someone hit me up on Facebook to say that WikiLeaks dumped a whole bunch of new stuff. The problem is there isn't really reporting on it yet where they're just kind of telling you hey if you want to go look through all these ufo files which that stuff is hard and not interesting to navigate so if you know anyone out there who's up to date on these newest ufo releases or the newest wikileaks um, releases hit me up robsnewsroom at gmail.com i would love to talk to them uh if not hopefully there will be other reporting about what's actually in these dumps because uh i don't want to go sifting through that shift uh, shit i want someone else to sift through because like the last WikiLeaks, it was like twenty-five thousand or whatever it was pages it was a shit ton of pages there were three or four that were interesting and then even so i didn't go back and take a look at the original source uh so hopefully other people decipher that down i still think when what when you guys think they're making the formal alien announcement because they're just leaking more and more they're putting it out there when do you think the formal announcement comes? Over or under? Labor Day. Labor Day? Nope. Independence Day. Boom. Mike, nice. You want to take a? You want to get in on this gamble? Ah uh, man, maybe it's, maybe it's about six months. Like, like Memorial Day ish. 
It's opening okay. right around my birthday, hopefully. Nice. <laughs> All right. So first guest we got lined up. We've got Andrew back on the podcast. He is a master of technology. And so he's going to be able to explain to us some of the uh, infrastructure of what's going on that Parler was able to be removed from the net. All right. Mr. Andrew, as our now uh, tech ambassador, there's probably a better word for the show. We are our registered technician, our tech expert. What do they call the people on the news when they like go to an expert? I don't know. They used to call me help desk though. Help desk. Okay. That's fine. Help desk. We all need some help. I, uh, <laughs> I would love it. Can you please explain to me the infrastructure of the internet? Cause I would have thought if I own my website or I wouldn't have thought like, I guess Google and Amazon are as important as they've kind of turned out to be. And I had a developer explain to me that I guess if you're not being hosted by the major players, you can't really be found on the internet. So I just thought the internet was a little bit more open. I don't quite understand the infrastructure of it. I guess it's a little bit like a mall that the big players own. So I hand it over to you if you could explain a little bit to me what the infrastructure is. Yeah, sure. I mean, that's a bit tough to summarize quickly, but what I can tell you is that... Amazon has made it to host web services and websites um, considerably more attractive than most of the other alternatives. And it's through this kind of clever um, cloud computing services that they've been iterating on for the past uh, decade and so uh, that they've been able to really make some new changes to the way that we develop websites. And so you could get yourself on the high search engine lists. You could get really, really high subscriber numbers on your service, but it's considerably harder to do it without amazon or google or one of the major cloud providers okay so us as libertarians though it's still i guess their technology and they have to license it to me so for some reason they take issue with who i am and what i'm doing i guess they shouldn't be forced to license people that they don't want to their tech um now i i turn that back to you because maybe i'm just not fully understanding where the monopoly exists here or why maybe we need someone to regulate them. And I'm not even saying that that's what you were putting forward, but I do think that there's a little bit of that flavor now is, Hey, there's such a risk here. We actually do need governments come in to regulate, or this is not a free and open market, but it still just seems to me like you can't force someone to let them use your technology and there's still room for competition and to be found, but maybe I'm missing something. I wouldn't die on the hill of uh, Parler. It's important to remember their security was shit and their entire existence was very much sort of being posed as like a safe space, right? Um, I get very uh, suspicious anytime I hear about something being announced as, as a safe space for somebody because that generally will mean that it's not. Facebook used to be a safe space until they weren't. So was Twitter uh, for various reasons. And so... I think we've seen this trick before. The other thing though with Parler is that I wouldn't die on this hill because they were doing basically the same thing that we didn't like about Twitter. They were a safe space and they were cultivating um, lots of festering anger and animosity and all the bad traits. So you don't want to associate with the MAGA people. Um, They kind of dug their own grave by being kettled into this one place on the web. So they kind of made this very fundamental error, I think, and they got tricked. I think that there's a lot that Parler has um, 
done to make their situation worse. I wouldn't take them as an example. Most people, when they host web services, they do a better job than this. This was a very hastily thrown together service meant to mimic all those Twitter features without all of uh, the good technology that they have developed over the years. And so they were very susceptible. I have eight terabytes or so of data from Parler on my hard drive right now. Um, it got hacked a couple months ago and it was a free for all for weeks. And there's all sorts of data being pulled down from that site before it got taken off of AWS. Why did Once it got I... taken off AWS, they went right up to archive.org. <laughs> What was the uh, value of that free-for-all is just you, now you have data on every user that was there? Like, why, when it was hacked, did everyone go, shit, I want this info? Well, because it was a great insight into a particular section of the MAGA right-wing kind of population. A lot of people fled there one day kind of just based on some sort of belief that they were going to foster a better community than Twitter. I would argue that they fostered a worse community, um, one that probably was taken down for its own good. Those people were pretty deranged, the people on Parler, just like a lot of people on Twitter are deranged. Um, they both should be taken offline, frankly, Twitter and Parler. <laughs> All right, so before we get into that, I'm curious to know, amongst your hack of the Parler community, did you get email addresses? Because I would love to just email them about Run Your Mouth. And I understand that you think that these are deplorables, but I'll accept them in my audience in a second. Are you kidding me? I'd love to have them a part of my community, supporting I mean, the sponsors and buying comedy tickets. It's out there and it's going to be um, scrubbed before it makes its way to like the public places like archive.org where it will land eventually. But if you get at it now, there are that pieces of information and the data. I don't know about email addresses, but usernames and geolocation, all that stuff. Um, I have like a terabyte of video, some of it from the Capitol raid. Yeah, so. I mean, they were such dumbasses. Okay, but let's go with, because I think you're taking a little bit of an extreme point of view here uh, in that you feel like these people shouldn't even have their platform which I don't think you mean. You're pro-freedom, so you're like, Absolutely. it's cool that they had it, but then you just as a dude are kind of like, I don't really care that they had to go away because they were a bunch of freaks anyways. Not even just that. It's more that they, they fell into a trap that they didn't realize that they were making for themselves. Um, you know, safe spaces suck. It doesn't really matter, right, if it's the left or the right. It doesn't matter if you're trying to be safe from cis white men or if you're trying to be safe from the people who conceive of those ideas, right? Safe spaces are terrible. And what they do is they make the bad parts of your community fester. I've seen this happen time and again, especially going through the start of game a few times. The way I see it, um, the good organizers, those who are really understanding what the dangers were from social media, they've been on other services and doing other things for a long time now. They were never on Parler. Um, you know, a lot of good political movements, they start out by coming up with good ways to organize. And the left has really got the freedom people beat on this. I'm sitting in things like secure scuttlebutt as the only libertarian going, where's all my friends? No one's taken the time to learn these new technologies. The answer was out there. We didn't need Parler. We never needed Parler. And that's kind of the problem is that everybody's focusing on Parler as if they were some sort of sanctity, but they really weren't. Well, I, okay, I, I think the flip side of that is just the fear that they took down Parler because let's just say that that was the most notable website right now that was alternative sure. to the current social media. 
So the concern is kind of like what we were saying with Trump. He had an outsider that came in and the deep state went after him. We'll never have an outsider. This appears to kind of be the same thing where it's there was an alternative social media platform. It's gaining in popularity. It's all the things that you guys don't want on your platform. But now not only can I not, you know, say things that you <laughs> think are offensive on your platform, I can't even have a separate platform. That's that's where the free market people go, holy shit, how is it that you, like that's extreme censorship? It it's a totally different ball game of censorship where now not only can I not just not say offensive things on your platform, I can't even have a secondary platform. I can't even have a mall to compete it, it is with your mall. So that that's where it it's becomes scary. So, but I'll turn it back to you if you can at least let it, like, what is the infrastructure here? How do these guys, people get stuck in a situation where they could just be pulled down like this? And if you did want to compete with Twitter, how do you set yourself up so that you're readily found and available, but not in this situation where you're just at like the mercy of Amazon? Sure. Well, I, I honestly, I think that, you know, the market might not be able to handle more than one Twitter. It might be that only one shitty social network like that needs to exist. Um, I think that the thing that the Liberty crowd needs to do is look at the free speech software that's already out there. In the free and open source software world, we've got um, utilities like Secure Scuttle, but like the interplanetary file system, like the DAT project, the Beaker browser. We have all sorts of decentralization proof kinds of technologies that are out there. And that's really what the Liberty team misses. They miss that there are really solid solutions for decentralization right now. And we don't need to rely on a service like Parler or Gab to fill that gap. We've got the ability right now to chart a, a beautiful new chapter in the way that people communicate online but if we don't embrace it soon the left is going to just completely out organize everybody and they already are so but okay there's what's that not windows software that you know you we all you probably have used it and every one of us linux. Have a nerdy linux right so anyone who's ever used linux has always said hey if you just took the time to learn this this is better than windows it's open at the end of the day i'm not a tech guy just fucking give me windows I don't care. I don't want to learn some new thing. I don't need an open DOS platform. That was always a claim. Oh, Bill Gates just worked off DOS. And so you're able to do what I don't fucking care. I just want what works and that what, what you know, other documents I can communicate. So what I, what you're describing of being, Hey, there's these really open things. You right. need someone who can actually put it into a popular and easy to way, easy to use. So it's like, you know, you, you can almost tell me, hey, ecstasy is readily available if you know how to use the dark web and the dark web's super simple and you can just order it, get it delivered like eBay. Once saw right. someone do that, I wish I was that cool that I knew how to navigate the dark web like that. Well, I can uh, show you how, man. What was that? I can show you how. You're only in Brooklyn. We can hang out. We can order some DMT. <laughs> we got a DMT pen we were trying in the shed and it tastes like fucking battery acid and did not get as high enough those things taste it. like ass i've tried them too yeah it was not and it didn't get us there anyways and we tried we kept coming back to it we're like oh, this got week's me the there. week and we were just sucking down battery acid <laughs> <laughs> no so, so I, I hear you loud yeah. and clear on this front I, I totally sympathize with the fact that it's not easy to get into these things right now but that's i think the the hidden key here we've been sort of tricked into believing that this stuff is easy, that it's easy to reach a huge global audience with no barriers. They were sort of pretending that it was true. Once it became too difficult and um, non-pragmatic, 
to support that business model. Like we talked about last time, they all started to retract using racism as their excuse for why they made such a huge blunder to ever believe, right, that their service was ever going to be able to support total free and open free speech. Okay, so just to kind of recap, because I read the newspaper and I get kind of the bird's eye view on some of these issues. What's good about talking to people like you is you're actually an expert in the field, so you really know this stuff. So in terms of people's concern for censorship, and we need somebody coming and regulate because it, almost what they're claiming with net neutrality. If government doesn't come in and they don't keep the internet neutral, uh, things that people want will no longer be available. That, 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 let's just say that that's the claim. Now with net neutrality... I even said, hey, if they want, it's like first class on an airplane. If they want to charge Netflix more to get your fucking content, you don't need to watch Netflix at night. And if Netflix is swallowing all the bandwidth, maybe they should charge you more. And maybe that just gets filtered down to you. You basically have to spend a little bit more for Netflix. Really not take. that big of a deal. And guess what? Without net neutrality, the internet's still working. There hasn't been this issue. So this is not that different than the net neutrality conversation. It's the opposite, in fact. Ooh, so maybe um, I have it dead wrong. No, well, see, it's in fact the opposite. The entire uh, crowd that used to say it's going to be so bad when net neutrality isn't around because we won't be able to see our favorite stuff are now the ones who are um, welcoming the censorship coming from people like Twitter. And they're welcoming uh, the FBI investigation into the so-called insurrection. See, they've totally flipped the side that used to be very concerned about the net neutrality aspect of um, the telecoms are now welcoming with open arms, Twitter, Google, Facebook, censoring and filtering everything to their heart's desire. Right. Um, I think it's quite extraordinary. And we're, we're essentially saying the same thing that the, Absolutely. that the same way I was against net neutrality, if you're being consistent, you would also be against any sort of regulation of whether or not Amazon wants to throw you off your site. Now, no what's interesting about that was I was saying, Hey, it's business. Like, why would Amazon want to throw you off their server? They're making money. What the fuck do they care? And even so, they no one was coming after Amazon and going, how dare you host Parler? So let's understand, this is not a profit thing for Amazon. If anything, oh, no. no, for sure not. If anything, now people have to start making more uh, preparation for the fact that Amazon might decline them service, which means that you might not want to do the cost. Of, I'm sure there's cost of building on a platform. I built a fucking Wix site. You got to take the time to build it on Wix. If it gets pulled yeah. down, I got to rebuild it. I'm sure if you're on whatever the Amazon thing is, unless you're really sophisticated and you're backing up your code, it's not that easy to just relaunch. So I'm sure that they will lose business off of this and they're in the game of charging people for hosting fees or, mm -hmm. or at least this particular branch of Amazon. I'm sure Amazon's big enough that they don't really give a shit, which brings us to the point that they're more interested in some sort of a political thing than the profits of this particular business. I'm kind of getting lost in my thoughts here. So let's just go well, back to go ahead. Yeah, let me say, I think that really Amazon's concerned with liability, just like Twitter was when they uh, banned the real Donald Trump account. They burned down the Donald Trump presidential library because they don't want folks like us being able to look back at his tweets and be able to connect the dots. It's the same thing here. Parler's people were very much manipulated to cause a lot of the problems that we saw happen on January 6th. And I believe that Amazon wanted to get ahead of the problem by deleting and uh, getting rid 
of the parlor content and its associated data so that people like us couldn't sleuth around and figure out what was so going my, on. So the only issue I take with that point of view is that every day on Twitter and Facebook, um, people are congregating, making death threats, or like <laughs> I think there's even a track record of terror, like real terrorist organizations making use of Facebook to either recruit people or organize. I don't think that's yes. a far-fetched claim. So the idea that you have to take down an entire platform because, like, the way freedom works is if things are open, you know what I mean? If you can just sell things on the street, you'll have somebody selling death. You know what I mean? But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be able to sell things on the street. Now, maybe that does mean you should regulate sales on the street because if it's just open, someone's going to be selling death. Mm. Maybe. You know, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe that's something that needs to be explored. Uh, and maybe I just picked a bad example. <laughs> but if you're going to be consistent and go, hey – these companies are responsible for what goes on with the infrastructure that they built, which actually isn't even that different than the argument that um, gun manufacturers should have some liability if there's a school shooting. Because I would say, hey, hmm. you're building it. I built the equipment. It is not my obligation. If I build a steel pipe and some asshole decides to take the steel pipe and bash someone in the head with it, that was not my intended creation for steel pipes. It's not my liability. Now, if I know, hmm. let's just say there's a gang in town that likes using my specific steel pipes for bashing people over the head, I would understand that, yes, I shouldn't just be profiting off of bashing. Like, you know what I mean? If I specifically know, oh, look at this uptick, and all of a sudden I'm making all this profit because this gang has decided they really like using this as a weapon, yes, I probably should stop selling it for moral reasons. Should the government step in and tell me I can't sell it? I don't think so. I don't think so either. Right. And so I think it's the same thing with the Amazon situation. It kind of all falls into that same legal area, at least in my brain. If I create something and the intended purpose is that, you know, you can use it to build a website and then someone goes ahead and they build a website, um, you know, specifically, let's uh, you go with the extreme. They build a website specifically to recruit Nazis. So I would say Amazon has the right to take it down. You know what I mean? They, they do. But they host plenty of that stuff. Right. Oh, that's interesting. But if you're if you're creating a website that's open and it happens to be that Nazis are congregating and that's a small fraction, it's not the intended purpose of the website, but it's something that because you're having an open website, I, I guess there's uh, it would be weird for me for Amazon to shut that down. And it's also creepy because there it's clearly some sort of a very determined censorship play because they're not concerned about the liability or it might be that Facebook is, is not being hosted by Amazon. So they're just not at mercy of being shut down. Maybe Amazon would shut down Facebook cause fuck them. Like they're, they're taking up marketing <laughs> dollars from them. So let me tell you, okay. I worked at Amazon at the beginning of the AWS uh, launch. I was there when their cloud services were little more than S3 buckets that you could store files on a cloud network with. Um, I saw with my own eyes, Amazon completely deny service to Netflix, which 100% used to rely on Amazon Web Services to run their own company. Right. I saw them completely shut down. Netflix on Christmas Eve, the highest traffic video day in the country. Because they were launching uh, that their remains own video true network? to this day. Amazon, yeah, exactly. Amazon does stuff like this. I'm perfectly comfortable to say it because my uh, 
all my all the contracts I signed with Amazon are long past due now, and so I can say this stuff. Um, this happened the same year that the Amazon Fire Phone came out and subsequently just tanked and failed. It was that year that everyone's Netflix was denied on Christmas Eve, and so this is not without precedent, not at all. All right. So the next question I just have about that, I would think, if I'm contracted with you, that you're putting me on the internet. It's not that different than, hey, I'm getting on a flight. I got a contract with you. I'm getting on your flight. You're bringing me to Atlanta, right? So I would think if I'm sure. contracted with you, I would think, I'm, I, like, I bought domains from Google. I wouldn't think Google can just cancel the domains I bought. It renews every single year. Maybe they could tell me at the end of the year, hey, we're not renewing your, your domain, and then I got to go somewhere else so I can keep my ownership. But I would think... I would think that I, they have a contractual obligation that if I've purchased them bringing me to the net and I don't understand the infrastructure of that, like, I like, I don't know. I actually, I don't know who's hosting my website cause a fan built it for me, which was cool. But if I bought a Wix site and I bought yeah. it for the year, I wouldn't think they could just take it away from me. Like I would have thought they have a contractual obligation to keep me on the internet for the terms of our agreement. So how is it that they're able to just pull the ripcord on you? So I can't quite speak to that because I'm not a lawyer. But what I will say is that everything that these companies do, I, I saw it happen at Amazon all the time. It is so absurdly covered by legal research that I just can't imagine that they did this action without full confidence that it was going to go the way that they thought it would go. And I guess and they so got the most resources if you want to go to court, which brings me to the next part of what was really creepy about this. I believe it was Parler who said that this was true, that the day that they was dropped from all three at the same time, which I don't understand. I, I get you're being dropped by Amazon because I guess they're your cloud server. I don't understand what they were meant by that they were dropped by the others. I, I don't know what that meant. But anyways, I they, they were saying that it was like, you know, what happened to Alex Jones, that it was like the companies worked in collusion to drop it's all you. at once. Yeah. But how, how was he dropped from anyone other than – Amazon. I would have thought Amazon, you mean just that like their pages from Facebook and Twitter were removed? So I, as far as I understand, some of the parlor social accounts on other social websites are still alive. I don't believe it's been a full purge like it was without Alex Jones, but it's been a pretty significant one. And I will say Amazon was really shitty to do this. I mean, beyond all questions that should be stated, it was revolting that they did this, especially given that they are a very, very prominent host of all sorts of offensive and terrible stuff. But um, in terms of like the, the coordinated takedown, we should expect this from these people going forward. I think there's been a lot of libertarians who have started to realize that the lines between government and corporate are really starting to get blurred. And I can't think of a better example of that than these socials. So really the other can't. thing that happened was I, I, I think their legal team dropped them at the same time. Now you got to realize- oh, I know, it was insane. If you're the legal team- this is now a fucking cash cow. My company's got to go to court against Amazon <laughs> to get themselves back on the internet. This is the greatest payday in my entire career. I've got I've got guaranteed business here. This is going to be hourly pay forever. No one knows these laws. Absolutely. For the like that I mean that's crazy. The, the sale already happened. You've got the good client who you're going to be able to run a lot of fees for and you drop them. Like, unless you're just a lawyer and you're in it for the retainer, and then the second your client goes to court, you're like, I'm out, you know, this is going to be a you problem, does not make sense. So who actually is, in your opinion, giving the directives, like, does the CIA call someone up and they go, hey, we're having a roundtable meeting, Bezos, 
head of Google, Jack Dorsey, you better be there. And then he goes, listen, I want I want Parler off the internet tomorrow. Are you guys playing ball? Because if not, we're doing, like, how, procedurally, how do you think that this coordinated effort, effort happens? What's the right. execution? It was a it was a coordinated effort without any question. I just want to make that clear. We do this kind of stuff in tech. This thing, these things happen all the time. Product managers from different departments, even from different companies, getting together and conspiring. It's not unheard of. Now, um, the exact mechanisms by which they did this, it's hard to talk about it because it, I'm not there and I haven't seen it. But what I can say is these companies probably were working together because they have a, a shared client, which is the United States government. I think that of all the and things you can't that they're beat the profits about, of catering to us government. That's it. If they don't have the support of the U S government, all those with like all those outstanding um, antitrust suits could go forward and it could really tank them. They could take the section two thirty protections away. There's no end to what, the government can do to these businesses. They're frankly very much responsible for starting them. So I would see no reason why they couldn't take them down. So that's the biggest thing on the table is that at all times, they're essentially, you know, it's like the mob guy who's got a gun to your head or they've got the footage of you, you know, the affair thing. So the tape that they have on Amazon and Twitter is both section 230, which treats them as a publisher which means that they're actually responsible for all the content that's there, right? That's the thing with Section 230. And what was the other thing that's hanging over them? they're not responsible. Is that they can be prosecuted for antitrust, which they keep pulling over their heads. They keep pulling Google in there and, you know, basically basically threatening, hey, you're going to play ball or look at what's going to happen. So that, that very clearly, even in public view, is being held over them. Uh, so to your eye, this is somebody in government gave them the directive they want to do this. And when it comes to government, they can't fuck around because there's no reason for them to risk the entire their entire businesses. Dave Smith just said that the other day. It's like in business, you know, you can withstand anything, but government's the one thing that can shut you down tomorrow. So that's that's their fear. Yeah, I think so. And also, I would say I'm not entirely sure there has to be that connection between what the government wants and what the corporations deliver on. It could very well be that there's just enough shared interest. There's enough um, synchronicity, enough fusion, enough vertical integration, whatever the language you want to use. Um, There's enough shared interest between these two parties that they play ball together. I will frequently make reference to the fact that, you know, when I speak at tech companies, the sooner you can get away from these big tech companies, the better, because they will swallow you. If not through actually buying you, they'll swallow you by putting all their shitty culture into your company. And so, you know, this, it's not easy to stop. It's very, very alluring what these tech companies can offer. Well, they got money. Not just the individuals, but businesses too. All right. So just to bring it home, what's the, what's the, what's the hope here? How do we stay ahead of government? So let's go this is not a free market, right? What, what, next call is 930, right? Yeah. Oh, hell no. <laughs> so let's go. This is not a free market. And it's actually government is stepping in and censoring what it wants to censor. That's the real issue here. Okay. And now that becomes interesting because then you can have a conversation about maybe we are better off with some sort of a actual um, regulation of it because then it somewhat puts it back into the voters' hands of how they want to regulate it. I don't think that even is true because look at the way the FTC treated radio. 
I don't think that any power that like I almost think that the hmm. small amount that That's they can point. regulate from behind closed doors is probably better than the office of regulations because once we formalize that they can regulate it's over it's like in law that they can do it right um but what's the path forward here so I like you said there's more technology uh, I guess we can you know the same way bitcoin super decentralized there, there's got to be some way to have the internet be more decentralized, but then there's an issue of actually getting people to adapt to it. So tell us, what, what's the hopeful story here? And bring us home on why it would make no sense for anyone to step in and ask for government, because the real problem here is basically government censorship. That's the initial source. But I, I hand it back to you. Now, I think you, you laid out pretty well. Um, the big problem we have is that we don't want these kinds of regulations solidifying that Twitter and Facebook are the best we can do and that these are the things that we need to put all of our stake into. Absolutely not. These are corporations. They came up with ideas that were basically just vessels for advertising sales. They do not represent all the power that the internet can provide us as individuals and as groups organizing voluntarily. Voluntarism and the internet go hand in hand. The internet was designed to withstand nuclear war. It is the only path forward for us, and we all as libertarians need to understand it and how it works and try new things. And so instead of trying new things like parlor, which is basically just everything we've already tried in a centralized environment, we need to go more uh, Friedrich Hayek. We need to go more von Mises with actually decentralizing and putting knowledge into the hands of individuals who can try cool things. Luckily, there's a whole world of open source out there, not just in the software world, but also in the meat space world. There are so many people organizing through the internet in various ways. The marketplace of ideas will decide the, the path forward for us. The thing that I think libertarians should hear loud and clear from this discussion, Rob, is that we will be defined by the way that we organize. And I think that if we use, say, for example, the Free State Project's Scuttlebutt server and organize that way, we'll show a lot more uh, savvy about the future that the internet's going to bring us, which is that decentralized technology and really learning these ideas that it offers us is our really only path forward. If we ever want to live in the decentralized anarcho-capitalist utopia that we all dream of, the the future lies in decentralized web tech. Hell yeah. All right, Andrew, thank you for uh, joining us and uh, giving us some education on how the internet works. And I feel like anyone who listened to this will be uh, reaffirmed, I, I think, in firm libertarian logic of that we're not calling for regulation over anything. It's not going to be helpful. I think it's interesting to frame this conversation of how similar it actually was to net neutrality. But here's what's interesting. I was the one with net neutrality going, nothing that you like is being taken away from you. The internet will be exactly the way it was. <laughs> and it's right. funny that I turned out to go almost being wrong. And like you said, the liberals, the one thing that got taken away was things the liberals like, yeah, this is great that things can be taken off the internet. The exact thing that they said was going to be horrible. Uh, so all very fascinating. Appreciate your insight as always. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Rob. And let me just say, you better check in on all those people on Twitter that were replying to everything Donald Trump said. They may not be doing so well right now. You mean you think that they're just like home, they're losing their fucking minds. What do they have to do now? Their whole lives have been disappeared overnight and they didn't even see it coming. Oh, I see what you're saying. It's like any any habit you have in life. Like if I was a diehard WWF fan, 
and then they just shut down WWF. Like, so imagine you're one of these people who are actually home all day. Oh man, Trump tweeted. Trump tweeted. It's almost like getting a text from a girlfriend you love. Oh my God, Trump. And now you don't have that anymore. Uh, you know, I wasn't thinking about that, but yeah, you know, hopefully people find some better habits or they just go back to doing heroin, you know, <laughs> or porn. That's yeah, always a good I, choice. I mean, porn works. Uh, all right. Thanks, Andrew. Catch <laughs> you later, dude. All right. Thanks, Rob. Take you there. All right. We're turning over to some other calls. Uh, before we take our next caller, let's take a uh, brief second. And uh, you want to talk about utopia. You want to talk about how we get the world better. You know, you know how you get a utopia? You start wearing sheath underwear. That's what you do. You start separating your balls from your dick. You go a whole day of life where you don't have a single moment where you got to like, you know, just readjust yourself. You're never inside like a bank. You're waiting online and like you were like, fuck, I got to readjust my nuts. You're in the middle of a conversation. You're hitting on some chick. You go and readjust your nuts. We all spend time readjusting our nuts. Every single one of us. Think about it. I bet you never realized how many times in a day you could have done something uh, or accomplish something in your life, but then you readjusted your nuts and some in front of some person, and they're like, I'm not going to do business with him because he just readjusted his nuts in front of me, and that's why you need sheath underwear. You start keeping your balls separate from your dick, never again for the rest of your life will you have to readjust your nuts Will you find yourself in a situation distracted by the fact that your nuts, you're, you're looking at me like, what the fuck is he talking about? You know why? You know why he's looking at me like that? He's like, I never realized how much time I spend readjusting my nuts. If only I had sheath underwear, I wouldn't live this miserable life where I'm stuck in a rut. I can't afford my rent. You know how many problems I have in my life just because my nuts are getting stuck to my legs? Not me. That's what's going on to Sid Floyd. Not Rob Bernstein. Rob Bernstein wears sheath underwear. He's gone and passed. He's evolved past having nuts stuck to his legs. So people, in all seriousness, sheath underwear, it's uh, ridiculously comfortable. Makes your butt look good because it's got like the spandexy, so it gives you a little bit of lift. If you're a lady, get yourself in some fucking sheath underwear. Get yourself in some sheath. They'll give you a little bit of a lift. And then because it's got the pouch for nut, maybe you can put like you got a big labia. You can like lay it in there and then you can experience what it is to kind of have a dick. Or maybe you want to keep your labia separate from uh from the rest of your puss puss. Maybe you got big old puss lips. You want to tuck it into the what, what would otherwise been the ball shelf. And then you want to have a nice thing for your ass so that your butt looks all good. You go out, you go to the gym, you're like, hey, look at my butt kind of thing i don't know where i'm going with this just sheath underwear great underwear and if you use the promo code rym you're gonna get 20 percent off pretty good deal all right now uh we got three minutes until our next caller uh joins us so you know what we could do for three whole minutes you want to know what we could do well we can definitely smoke weed but i was gonna plug kratom uh, which he's supposed to sell, send us some kratom uh do we have some I, I do like myself some kratom as long as it's from yo kratom if it's not your kratom, I don't want your fucking kratom. You're packing other kratom, kratom that you spent more than $60 for a kilo on. That's ridiculous. I'm a Jew. It offends me that you would waste your own money spending more than $60 for a kilo of kratom. That is a waste of perfectly good money when you can go to yokratom.com, get the finest kratom in the entire land, not just America. I think the whole world. I'm not a full kratom. I haven't traveled to, where do you think? I think there's a lot of kratom in Indonesia. I think that's the starting point. I don't know why I think that, but I just think Indonesia is the starting point in the Kratom supply chain. But I feel like even if you went to Indonesia, you'll Kratom, they got you covered. You don't have to go to Indonesia. It's going to end up costing you more money because you got to travel all the way there, get the flight. You're like, I'm getting Kratom, I'm getting Kratom right at the source, so it's cheaper. But then all of a sudden you realize the Kratom guys have their manufacturing and everything so worked out that it's still cheaper if you go there directly and you get it for $60 a kilo. All right. 
That is enough of sponsor talk. But thank you. You'll create them. Do love you guys. Supporting everything that we do. Now, let's take our next caller, which is, uh, we got a lawyer. He's going to help us not get sued. Um, we've got Dustin with us, our new Run Your Mouth legal counsel. The guy's out there. He's training new lawyers, so he, he knows all the dirty tricks, and he's going to help educate us here a little bit. Uh, Dustin, there have been some recent legal issues that have come up in the news, so I'm hoping to get an expert opinion. And by the way, this is Run Your Mouth, so if you don't know, just make it up. It's all good. We'll run with it. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about most of the time. <laughs> Mike Nice is passed out because he's taking too much Yocratum. We're just having a good time. You don't have to worry about it. Uh, the first question I have for you is, we've now moved past this whole voter fraud thing. It's wrapped up. Donald Trump himself is saying, all right, we lost. Let's move on. Now, I watched a lot of testimony, firsthand testimony from individuals who were saying some really shady shit. They were saying things like uh, the tabulation machines were just off. They were saying that they were told to take lunch and then they were locked out. There were a bunch of crazy reports, and it seemed to me to be firsthand testimony. So I don't quite know the law or the legal system. I'm curious, what's your take? Was this given a fair shake? Did it actually see its day in court, or was it like, some different process that it was never really investigated and more just thrown out. So uh, that's a very big question. And I think the uh, kind of most important thing to mention with it is uh, first, I don't think many people realize Trump is one in 63 in these court cases. As of last week, he's one in 63, he did win one. Uh, and just to put that in perspective, because I know you guys are up in the New York area, right? So the Jets have a better record than Trump does okay. in his legal cases. There you go. It's pretty terrible. Right. Uh, but um, the answer to your question is you can say a lot of things in, in testimony, but if you're looking at what the allegations are in the cases, um, often they didn't actually allege fraud in their cases. They were alleging procedural issues uh, involving secretaries of states changing the way that voting occurred uh, up until a few days or even the day before an election, as opposed to the voter fraud issue. I mean, as a matter of fact, in uh, the, the Pennsylvania case, uh, Rudy, Giuliani, uh, Rudy Giuliani explicitly stated uh, that this was not a voter fraud case. Um, so oftentimes what we saw and we heard was never presented to the court. So that's the first thing. Um, the second so thing let's is- Let's just stop right there for one it. second, because that's so, because I was talking about this on part of the problem it made no sense to me. If you were to go to the voting public and say, hey, listen, it's not fair that Donald Trump this uh, lost this election because of procedural reasons. Everyone goes, I don't fucking care about procedure, right? We don't care. What we care about is at the end of the day is the results reflective of what people really wanted. So if you end up with a procedure problem where people like me, like for let's just put it this way. I'm actually not a registered voter, right? Let's say you had a procedure problem where a lot of unregistered voters ended up voting but then you can make the argument, yeah, but that's what people really wanted. He's a U.S. citizen. So despite the fact that there's a procedural flaw there, this is actually a better representation of what people really want. You see what I'm saying? At the end of the day, to the, the general public, what they want their elected official to be is what did people really want? And was it? I, I guess there's going to be some concern for, yeah, there are rules and it's got to be in a, generally speaking, legal manner according to the rules. The less compelling thing is to go, hey, there was a procedural issue here. And even though the voting, because really what you're saying is that even if the voting public would have preferred Biden, he won because of procedural issues and therefore go for me. 
So what they really did was they got in front of the general public and they said, there's voting fraud. The general public doesn't want him. But then they went to court and only talked about procedural issues. So explain to me, why would they do that? Is it because the voting fraud never existed? They didn't want to present that evidence in court. Is that something that you couldn't win in court? You're the lawyer, so I hand it back to you. Well, you know, I uh, I can't say that I've ever been one to get inside the mindset of Rudy Giuliani um, or any of the other attorneys on these cases. But uh, what I would say, um, first, uh, procedural issues are pretty important. Uh, we talk about process. It's literally in the Constitution, right? Your due process rights. Um, that's what we're talking about protecting in the 14th Amendment. Uh, that's where a lot of these cases come from or due process uh, cases. So procedural issues are pretty important. But um, from an outside perspective, a non-legal perspective, um, it certainly appears to be a lot of smoke and mirrors. Um, there, there's such a thing as the court of public opinion, right? So um, oftentimes when we say things to the public, uh, we get them riled up. Um, unfortunately, maybe we get them too riled up um, as, a, as what happened uh, about a week ago. But um, I think the attempt was to try to win on a, a couple of different fronts. Um, the first was to say, oh, we're going to get people so upset that they're going to demand that Congress take action. So I think that was the first approach. Uh, there, there's this thing called pleading in the alternative in law, right? So uh, you'll plead everything that you can in a court case to try to win. Um, and I think what they're doing is arguing in the alternative. So they're setting up um, a court case to try to say, you know, where we can or where we feel we can, let's attempt to try to show some fraud. Um, and, and there were, as I said, a handful of cases where they attempted to do that. Um, interestingly enough, the Arizona case, even if they had won, uh, would have only amounted to less than a thousand votes difference, which wouldn't have even changed the election outcome. Um, so again, that's another example where they've told the public, this is going to change everything if we win this case. But the reality was, um, I think in court, they admitted it was 937 on votes. Um, so the facts just didn't match up. So to answer your question, maybe a little more specifically or more directly, um, i I personally feel like they were probably just uh, trying to pull the wool over some people's eyes and, and save some feelings and hope that maybe something would stick. Uh, I know at one point Giuliani was quoted as saying that he really truly believed that the Supreme Court, specifically involving the Pennsylvania case, um, would throw out uh, the entire election. That, that's just not going to happen. Um, it's, it's specifically the courts have said in the past that that's not something they will do. Um, so I know I'm, I'm babbling. I guess it is called run your mouth. So I'm really <laughs> running my mouth on this. No, one. no, no. All very um, interesting. But, uh, and I, I just want to say off the bat, I really, uh, I appreciate what you said about procedural issues and I think you're right and I'm wrong. And so you put forward a good argument there. Now, in terms of everything else that was said, so let's just take it one step at a time. So in terms of the actual procedural arguments that they made and the ones that they did bring to court, do you feel that the courts gave them a fair shake or that because of the nature of this issue, you know, courts were kind of, let's just saying, not collusion, not that they all, all the judges sat around and said, hey, we're throwing this out, but they're all kind of on the side of government here. And so they didn't really give it the due process. Or do you think they went there, they got their fair fight and they didn't really have a case? Well, I'm going to do some breaking news for you. Uh it's not over. Um, there's still a case pending before the Supreme Court that likely will change 
the way we do elections in the future. So you're, you're probably familiar with the uh, emergency injunction that was granted there where they started separating out the ballots uh, as that came in after election day. Um, small amount of ballots not likely to change the outcome of the election, but um, significant in terms of case law because it's very likely um, that that case will be taken up and um, very likely the court will provide further instruction to the states um, because in that case, um, what's my understanding um, is that the uh, Secretary of State in Pennsylvania uh, changed some of the process of the way ballots were handled, uh, corrections of ballots and things were done. Um, and the Constitution is pretty specific in saying that state legislatures decide um, how uh, the elections are handled. Um, I think more specifically, um, it, it, it more or less says it's not just the times and places, but also the manner of voting. And so really, if that was going to be permitted, the legislature in Pennsylvania should have changed that. So it's very likely in that particular case, we're going to get some further instruction from the court in a future opinion. Um, one of the reasons a lot of these emergency um, uh, cases were not heard, emergency motions were, were not uh, uh, granted for, for these hearings uh, was because the court will often look at the case and say, would it make a difference? And if the case would not make a difference, then the traditional procedure could be followed. Um, so oftentimes when what we're talking about here uh, were really expedited procedural requests, not um, your standard process. A, a court case can take uh, years, a year, two years to get to the Supreme Court. Uh, it takes a long time. So what we're talking about here is a case trying to kind of jump the gun get there as quickly as possible. Um, so to answer your question, I think um, on, on a basic level, yes, uh, I mean, they, they received a fair shake. And also, um, you know, lawyers can be sanctioned for filing uh, claims that are frivolous, but they can also be sanctioned for filing claims um, that are poorly written. And so just a couple of things, I wrote down just some notes from some of the cases, and I think you might enjoy this because uh, I, I, I just, it blew my mind uh, to find out some of this information. So here are some of the errors found within some of these court cases. Uh, one case named a plaintiff that had not agreed to sign on to the case. One case was filed in the wrong court. It was filed in uh, the federal court in D.C. when it was a Michigan case. It should have been in the Western District, District of Michigan. Uh, there were massive spelling errors in the uh, opening of multiple cases, but specifically one such that the judge commented on it. Um, and, and attorneys have been sanctioned for spelling errors, by the way. Um, there's been multi-million dollar cases decided on a, a one period in a sentence. Um, an expert witness cited a non-existent county uh, when doing uh, a discussion of data in one of the cases. Uh, there was a, a Wisconsin suit for Detroit irregularities in voting. Um, and probably from a legal perspective, one of the more interesting ones uh, was there an emergency, there was an emergency motion for an injunction uh, for an expedited injunction that was filed in a, a, a preferred or a sample uh, order, which essentially what will happen in court is you will write the proposed order you would like the judge to sign. And then if they agree with your side, they'll sign it. Um, that motion and order neither had, uh, had nothing in it about uh, time or actually expediting the process. It did not request a hearing, and it did not have a hearing schedule included anywhere in it. So it sounds it. like the actual court so, cases they were putting forward were just so they could be in the news and say, hey, we have court cases. 
And so they were trying to drum up as many court cases as they as they could. So they go, oh, look, we've got this thing. We're going to win it. It's important. It's legitimate. But it really just was for show. So before we get into the election fraud of it, it sounds like, at least from what you're telling me, these procedural cases, they knew they weren't going to win. They're trying to be in court so that they can go, hey, we're in court. But then they must have known they weren't going to win. So to your, like, what the fuck was Trump's plan? I mean, even here, it's like he apparently didn't want a revolution because people showed up and he was like, don't do that. Go home. So what, like, you know, is he really just that much in it for theater and television that he just wants to play it through to the end? Like, you know what I mean? It's the season It's the season finale. So he's like, we're in it for the ratings. We're in court. They lied to us. You know what I mean? Like, he just, it, it's Trump TV and he just really wants it to be that interesting. Like, I don't know. What's your perspective? You know, Robbie, actually, I'd never thought about it from that perspective. But if this were a TV show, this would probably be the highest rated season finale of any presidency. It's like he's so, just he's just um, in it. I, he, I think uh, honest and truly ego goes a long way. He's just in it for the attention. So and he that? just goes, all right, we lost, but at least we can make the last two months interesting. I don't know if it's really that, but it is interesting. OK, so now that we've taken a look at the procedural issues that they actually brought to court, now let's look at the election fraud stuff, which never, to my eye, showed up in court. It was in, I guess, in these cases for certifying the election, and he made wild cases about Dominion in which uh, there's actually a defamation suit against, uh, I think her name is Sidney Powell. Um, and from what you've seen, and some of the, I, I, I've said statistics to me, they don't make sense. It's like telling me about constellations and the stars, maybe, sure, whatever. It doesn't mean anything to me. So it's really a two-part question. One, based on what you've seen, do you think that there was any reasonable evidence of election fraud? And two, why didn't they actually try and bring that case to court? Yeah, so I think uh, to answer your first question, um, there's always some level of election fraud in any case, uh, in any election. So let's so, just change it to um, a reasonable there, there's or some meaningful small level amount. Of so let's just let's just throw yeah, that out I think of the that's way. The problem, right? Yeah, let's just throw that because that's a problem with law in general and what politicians like to do. Everything's about scope and scale. You know what I mean? Everything, like it, literally everything in all of life, scope and scale. So they're like, you know, they'll get you on this, the witness stand and go, have you ever said anything untruthful in your, well, of course I have. But then they get to go, oh, look, he admitted to lying in court. Well, it doesn't mean anything. It's, did I lie about something, you know, that uh, affected something? It's scope and scale. That's the important thing. So yes, every single election has voter fraud. Who gives a shit? The question is scope and scale. Was there enough voter fraud in this election that Donald Trump lost because of voter fraud? That's the question. Yeah, and, and I will tell you, my perspective on it is that, one, um, I would say probably not, uh, just based on the information available. And also because if there was, and it was a question you asked kind of coming into the discussion, um, and, and it's a very valid question, by the way, which is um, you heard all of these people speak to these legislatures. But yet we didn't hear about what happened with those in court. And that's because if they were truly legitimate, if they really believed that this was the way to go, um, you know, file, and I should mention this, this is another little minor legal thing. Um, when filing cases involving fraud, um, Rule 9B of the Federal Rules of Civil Procedure requires um, particular, particular uh, examples of fraud to be used in your filing. And so what we found 
was that even in those circumstances, they were not filing with enough particularity to allege anything. So, uh, for example, you can say there's massive voter fraud. There's all these problems with machine, right? Um, but until you give a specific example where you can show a machine that has had a problem with it, you've not filed a particular fraud claim. But now is um, that so a... I think the issue... Okay. But is that an issue where, hey, I need government never came along and gave the warrant, FBI never did the investigation? Like, was there enough reason why you might think, yes, these machines actually are fraudulent, but they weren't given a chance to actually procure, procure that evidence? Like, were they blocked from doing so? Or were, were they alleging things that were so flimsy that even the fact that no one looked into it was just because it was so thin and ridiculous? Uh, definitely the latter. It's a fairly low bar, even though it says particulars. Um, there just has to be some substance there uh, to state a claim upon which relief may be granted. And so really, um, that's one of the reasons why there's a lot of questions um, as to whether there may be some sanctions potentially for some of these attorneys involved in these cases, um, because there, there may be some evidence. Uh, and, and I will say, uh, just generally speaking, uh, there may be some evidence based on um, some of the findings that these attorneys knew that they were filing either either frivolous or at the very least somewhat baseless uh, lawsuits. Okay. Um, so, and so I would not be surprised to see many of these attorneys. So I just, could, here's what's fascinating. You're, you're an actual lawyer. You're not me. I'm just a guy who reads the newspaper and a dumbass. You actually know this stuff. And you're saying that they brought procedure cases to court that they knew that they couldn't win because... And they were filing this stuff, and it's clear that they were being sloppy about it because they want to be in the news and saying, hey, we've got a chance at turning this thing over. At the same time, they didn't bring the voter fraud case whatsoever because they knew that they didn't have possible evidence to even have that in court. It would have just been thrown out, so they didn't even bring it. Okay, now, not saying that you're wrong. That would mean that because I've been pretty open to the theater of voter fraud, that I've just been a sucker for the charade of it. Now, there's one last piece of information that you and I haven't addressed that I was becoming somewhat open to this idea of the voter fraud. Well, actually, there's two things. The first is all that eyewitness testimony to say that the Democrats were doing really shady shit. One of the shadiest ones that we caught on film were that they were p picking up these briefcases under the table after they told people to go home. There seemed to have been a lot of very clear or enough evidence like corroborated of people being like the Democrats are playing games here. So I, I, I guess the one part of your analysis thus far would dismiss all of the firsthand testimony of let's just say people saying, hey, there were some shenanigans going on. So I guess how would that aspect be treated from your general analysis of the fact that they really just had no claim? Yeah, so I think the most important thing is, uh, uh, first, just to mention, if it's not presented, then it can't be considered by the court. So, um, you know, I think just to kind of get that aside first. But then um, why wouldn't they have presented I that think, when that was the most, right. I guess, compelling or interesting aspect? Is that just not good evidence? Well, so as my governor would say, that's the $64,000 question, right? Um, it certainly could be good evidence. You could allege that you have. Uh, video footage. There, there's lots of things that could be alleged based on the things that you've mentioned. Um, the problem is when it's not done, uh, the rationale for not doing so is a little bit hard to uh, analyze. 
I think um, just generally speaking, um, there was probably, and this is again, just going out on the, the, the limb here, there's probably were some questions either, um, if not about the validity of uh, the things in the tapes, um, at the very least, potentially some questions um, about the content. So it could be that maybe what was being told was being shown may not have been something that was actually uh, occurring at the time. Oh, so you think that that tape that I saw with the briefcases might have been mis like there might have been an edit in there where actually those briefcases came out when people are around like the fact that they were saying that that was two in the morning doesn't mean it was actually two in the morning and that might very well be exactly why they didn't present it i guess in a normal court of law because then they would have been shown to basically be presenting fabricated evidence evidence right and that's a possible answer i mean obviously um you know, peak elephants and purple rainbows, right? But um, until we know, uh, we can only speculate. But I, I think that's a reasonable speculation at the very least. All right, so this is fascinating, and this is the, <laughs> the, the first I'm hearing this. And I want to say I got trust in the fans of, of this show. Like, if you were just on CNN tonight, I would say, fuck that guy. But I figure that people who are listening to the show on a regular basis have a similar point of view to me. So I don't think you came on here with an agenda to be like, I'm convincing people that Trump's an asshole and this was all a charade. I think that you have put fair critical thinking into this in an actual legal perspective that I don't have. Um, it's interesting because I'm, I, it's drumming up some cognitive dissonance for me because I was pretty, uh, convinced that there was enough shenanigans going on here that it seemed to me like they were, brushing this under the rug they weren't really looking into and it didn't get its fair shake but everything that you said thus far is really contrary to that in saying that no they had their opportunity to bring it to court they apparently didn't have enough to actually show up in court for it to be treated seriously and that's why this didn't really go any further and so in your opinion this is case closed it's what I said in the Mueller investigation that, you know, they couldn't create enough evidence for it to move any forwards. That's it. It's thrown out. This is the same thing. They had their opportunity to show up in court, bring some evidence of voter fraud or bring some evidence of procedural issues. They weren't able to do so. Case closed. Yeah. And I must say, uh, just in case Donald Trump is a fan of your show, um, I am not providing any legal advice to anyone in this reporting. Uh, do not represent any of you, and please don't call me. There you go. <laughs> now, just as a, let's say we're in the casino and we're betting here. So I got two last questions for you on this, and then I got one more topic I want to quickly cover. We only have a couple minutes, and then I got my next guest calling in. Um, do you think there's any chance that Congress runs some sort of an investigation into this election? And do you think that there's any possibility that there's some sort of a investigation that could take place in the future that hasn't currently happened that would actually prove some level of voter fraud? And I guess the only thing that we didn't really talk about was all the statistics out there. But like I said, I don't have enough understanding of it to, 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 to argue it one way or another. Uh, so first, there's, there's a quote that a good friend of mine, uh, Bryce, always says, which is, there are lies, damn lies, and statistics. There so uh, one, we can just throw out all those statistics. Uh, two, uh, I think the, uh, I hope that there would be uh, some form of an investigation into it just so that we can get some more closure for the general public. 
because I think there's a large enough uh, percentage of America that would like to know that information. Um, but do I think it's likely to happen with a Democratic Congress? No, I don't. Um, but I would hope that it would. Well, it, with what you're putting forward, it would actually be in their uh, to their benefit because they could actually put to rest, you know, the, the fake news of what Donald Trump was able to drum up here because it's certifiably false. Or, you know, here's the thing. I could be totally wrong. This could all be BS. And, um, you know, there could have been massive voter fraud. And uh, there you go. I got to be honest. I'm still uh, I'm still flip a coin on this one. I don't know. I like I don't think you're wrong, but I don't think you're right. So I, I need. Uh, but this is new information for me. That's why I had you on the show. And it's something that I will have to give more consideration to. Um, all right. We really only got a couple minutes left, but I'm curious. uh your take from a legal perspective, we just had a tech expert on who was kind of explaining to us how open the internet really is and why we shouldn't be that concerned about Parler being taken down. Uh, I'm curious from your perspective, if Parler has some, any kind of, you know, legal recourse to go after Amazon and go, Hey, you couldn't just take me down like this. Or if there's anything, any wisdom you might be able to bring us in terms of this tech censorship atmosphere of, um, what I, I, I don't know if you're a libertarian, but what people with oh, the liber- you are, okay. What, what do you think libertarians should be looking for, for the solution here? And you would have more of the legal expertise on this. So if you got to take, you know, give it to us now. I'm going to give you the quickest take I can on All it. Right. Um, I think one, I've seen a lot of infighting, um, amongst even, uh, of my friend group, uh, you know, we'll go out, have dinner and, uh, there's a lot of disagreement. So. I think the first thing is um, when we talk about rights and, and privileges and benefits, um, you know, the, it, your First Amendment rights come uh, to protect you against or from the government and government action. And so the question becomes, um, is there a restriction uh, of speech there by the government in some way? And so I think it's going to come down to whether we consider these platforms or publishers. Um, so is this a... Um, Essentially, is this the press that we're talking about under uh, an interpretation of the Constitution, or is it a private business? Um, is there enough, um, for lack of a better word, collusion uh, between uh, governmental actors, the Democratic Party, et cetera, um, that somehow we could tie it in to say, you know, potentially there's a government action that's being taken against these individuals? Um, there, there is some contract law and things that could come in as well, but generally speaking, so I want to pause that's there not for a very strong argument. That, that's fascinating. In other words, because the last person who was just on here was essentially saying how they believe that Amazon was threatened either with the enforcement of publishing laws or antitrust suits to take them down. If that could be proven and turned out to be and turned out to be true, then you actually have a real freedom of speech case because it's the government suppressing speech. Theoretically, there could be. Yeah. Um, and it could be very interesting to see that happen. Um, so while I won't give you a solid yes on it, I would say I would love to see that uh, that case develop because I think there'd be some interesting case law to, to come from that. Um, so to answer that part of the question, yeah, I mean, I think it's a really tough one. Um, and, and from a libertarian perspective, it's difficult because we really like to talk about how we love private business, right? We, we love, you know, business can do what it wants. Um, so it's, it's going to be interesting to see not only how that develops in, in terms of case law, uh, but also what, um, you know, the party... Uh, and we'll say that in air quotes uh, has to say about that uh, as well as time goes on, because I've seen quite a split. 
Hell yeah. All right, dude, thank you so much for uh, joining us. We'll definitely have you on as our uh, legal expert again, most likely when these guys get arrested for selling drugs and we need free legal counsel. But uh, thank you for joining us. We'll do it again, dude. Awesome. Thank you. And I do have to very quickly do a shout out to Rob from Chief Underwear, who sponsors my fraternity organization. As well. Does he really? So mutual friend there as well. Hell yeah. How do you know Rob? Yeah. Uh, he sponsors the uh, fraternity that I'm the national president of. So hell yeah, are you uh, sheathing right uh, now? You gotta keep a- you gotta keep those balls separate from the dick. We're out there. We're I am. To- I I am. Love them. Sheath best underwear in the market. Power to sheath, <laughs> baby. Getting getting a second plug in. I love Robert. He's a he's a fun guy. I'm hoping to get out in uh, Colorado at some point and hang out with him. Knock out another tooth. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic <laughs> all right thanks for joining have a good one dude thanks you too next we have with us melissa rochelle we've been talking quite a bit about all the censorship that's going on how donald trump was robbed of his election and uh if there's one thing that gets libertarians excited it's bitcoin it's the fact that it's taken off it's the fact that we're competing with government we're taking away their biggest power which is currency uh and so you reached out to me we met years ago in new york city uh both doing stand-up you had come in on a vacation and then you reached back out to say that you become a bitcoin or crypto expert over the years uh (laughs) so why don't you tell us a little bit about your expertise Sure. Yeah. I got a really random resume. I've done real estate as well. I don't know. I just didn't have sex till late in life. So I guess I just read a lot of books and studied a lot of things. And um, I, uh, I worked for a blockchain education company. So that was pretty fun. And um, I worked with a lot of Ethereum people and I'm not super pro Ethereum. So that was a, a fun little turf war a la West Side Story. But uh yeah so i'm just trying to figure out like how to help people catch up because this is an amazing tool that's going to give people a lot of um i don't want to say security because the price is volatile but it's going to be at least something better to believe in than the fiat that is crumbling before eyes and um it's really cool technology that can be used for, you know, real estate records. We can use it for owning our own healthcare data. It's um, it's not just good money. It's a lot of good technology. So, so be- beyond just stuff. the utility of Bitcoin, you actually um, are drawn to the decentraliz- decentralization of the blockchain technology. Yeah. So if people don't know, like some people will use Bitcoin and blockchain interchangeably, but it's really more like blockchain technology is kind of like the internet and then Bitcoin is kind of like email. So to use email, you need the internet and to use Bitcoin, you need blockchains, Um, but you don't need to just use blockchains for Bitcoin, just like you don't just need to use the internet for money. Or now, I'm sorry, for email. <laughs> what's, what's interesting about that, though, is that the reason why blockchain technology works so well for Bitcoin is that it's purposely inefficient. And I take that from the book, The Bitcoin Standard. So what's interesting about <laughs> okay. decentralized, you know, 
uh, internet, it's almost like what I read about the uh, Google servers at first, that as opposed to having supercomputers, they wired up a shit ton of different computers, and it was the power of like the massive hive mind of all these individual computers. Blockchain works in a similar fashion where people are basically running the program because they have a financial incentive to do so, and so it's spread across everyone's computer. Yep. Anyone's computer can go down at any given moment, but the, there's a perfect record being stored because it's basically the mass computing power of various different computers. But in terms of the utility of applying that technology to other things, I would think you'd run into two problems. One, it's actually not as fast or efficient as the internet as we know it. And two, the reason why everyone's running these technologies is because they have a financial incentive to do so um, through basically earning Bitcoin by running either the node checking or uh, the the Bitcoin harvesting. So in terms of applying the technology to other fields, while I can see the like I can see why people would get excited about that. I would think that there are both some, uh, I guess, technological hurdles and lack of financial incentive oh sure big technological hurdle is there's not a lot of programmers that are skilled in this specific type of programming and i mean obviously like ethereum has its own thing but if you do stuff on top of like Bitcoin, that's different coding requirements. Like I know Python and JavaScript and things like that. I don't know a ton about that world. Um, I'm trying to learn a little bit more about it, but it's not my forte. Um, but yeah, they're just, there's going to be a lot more people that need to be hired in that, but they need to be educated in that first. So that was one of the things when I was working with that blockchain education company was trying to get people interested in tech and coding and things like that because it's not the easiest sell um obviously there's a financial incentive so that will motivate some people but i mean my brain type like yours you know we write jokes like we're more creative i'm i'm better at like merging people together than merging numbers in code so uh that's a huge hurdle right now some of the other like great programmers have already made a bunch of money. So they're just like chilling, you know, they're just like drinking on, a, on an island somewhere. So they're like, I'm done. I made my money. Um, but at the same time, they really should still want to participate because if, you know, if Bitcoin goes to a hundred thousand dollars, then their investment is, is more secured than if it's, you know, right now it's around like $40,000 for Bitcoin core. So it's, um, gonna be a really exciting year to see like what happens and how many people start catching on to this stuff and how many people start maybe pivoting i tried getting comedians on board for a long time and a lot of them were just like i don't really care um so i tried writing like a sketch pilot that was like all snl sketches but like crypto related like um i had one with borat and like um they were trying to ban mining in Kazakhstan. That's funny. So stuff like that. And um, I just had no one that was willing to act in it or even like could read over the sketches because they were like, I don't know if this is funny or not. I don't know anything about this. So very niche. <laughs> there you go. Well, so my experience in, uh, in self-produce, me and uh, I've filmed quite a bit with a friend of mine. His name is uh, Menuhin. And we stopped trying to book other comics because we found – 
Uh, and we're talking like we've been doing New York City comedy eight, nine years. We know a lot of people. Oh, yeah. And they always flaked on us. And so we just, for the most part, if we, unless we absolutely have to cast somebody else, then we will. If not, we try and play multiple parts. And we've had fun producing stuff that way. But uh, you would think one of the advantages of being in comedy is you know all these other people that aren't working and they're funny. And, like, there's no reason why they can't show up and act in your shit. But, uh for the most part, you, you find that they are not very professional. Uh, but let's not shit on... Very true. <laughs> let's not shit on the other <laughs> comics. Let's bring it back to Bitcoin. Uh, I had a fan that emailed me, and this is when I reached out to you. We had done a segment recently um, with Carr, who at some point... I I'd mentioned him to you before. I, I Maybe we'll do a joint episode. He's been my Bitcoin guru. He got me to sure. buy in, and I'm happy that I did because I, I bought in right at that bottom. I picked up someone who was at 5K, so I'm a happy camper best investment i've ever made <laughs> um, but we've had fans hit us up and ask us hey i know nothing about this how do i get started with bitcoin for me it was just coinbase which we'll get into in a minute might not be the best approach uh but i hand it back to yeah, you if you could educate our fans on if you're totally new to bitcoin and you're becoming interested in it which everyone will be because fools rush in and it's getting hot uh so Ma'am. educate our fans how do they get started in bitcoin sure so i mean if you know absolutely nothing i think nate martins uh from 99 bitcoin does a really nice job with like his introductory videos he has a whole playlist for like just getting started um so he'll just explain like the basic terms because it's like learning an entire new language you know and you and i both come back from like more libertarian background. So we at least have a little bit of financial knowledge that I would say most comedians don't and most normal people don't. Um, so yeah, you have to know, understand money. You have to understand a little bit of tech. Like it's a lot of, it's a lot of things. So if you don't get it right away, like don't beat yourself up. It's, it's totally intimidating for a lot of people. Um, if you are in Chicago, there's a resource called the blockchain Institute. It's a physical building and they do um, online courses for free. And then I think, I haven't checked their website. They might have paid ones now. Um, but they are like a physical building you could go to and be like, hey, I really don't understand how to set up a wallet. Can you help me? So I don't think there's that many in-person places, especially with this year, most in-person things are not really operating right now. Um, but they do have really good online sources. And I did, you know, kind of silly, funny videos with them for a while. So they're a good resource to check out as well. But just in terms of um, if you want to buy, is very, like you're interested, you want yeah, to, you you want to hop in. Yeah, you don't even care how it works. You just want some. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, Coinbase is an option, but it's not the best. And when it gets really popular, you know, like the price starts going up, it gets really jammed because everyone kind of goes there. Um, if you do use Coinbase, make sure you don't keep your crypto on Coinbase because the whole point of Bitcoin is that you that are too. your own bank, right? <laughs> so you take the power and the responsibility. <laughs> so you want to make sure you like keep your password, your mnemonic phrase, your seed phrase, and you don't want to put it online anywhere because you know it might get hacked depending on how you're storing it. So you want to make sure you have that like written somewhere safe. And it's like if you lose a 20, you lose a 20, right? So you don't want to lose your password. And you don't want to keep it on an exchange because then you're trusting a third party, which is what the banking system was. So, you know, we're trying to do this technology where you get away from the whole relying on third parties thing. So you don't want to just recreate that but with Bitcoin. So any, like when PayPal came in. 
Any recommendations for what people that like Bitcoin but are really irresponsible and stupid? Just asking for Sid. That, that that's not me. I mean, <laughs> I guess then maybe an exchange. I guess. <laughs> yeah, I bought. Um, I, bought I would just say like, don't do. Yeah, I bought, bought it on, on Coinbase <laughs> and. The fear of losing passwords because I lose every password or just putting it all <laughs> onto a fucking thumb drive and being done with it. I lose everything. I feel like if it's anything other than Chase Bank, which will send me a reset kind of thing, right. I'm like, this will not exist in a year from now. Yeah, and you're not alone. There's a lot of people that are like that, especially comedian-wise. Um, <laughs> yeah, we need like a non-Coinbase Bitcoin for dumbass. Maybe I can buy that like domain, like not Coinbase Bitcoin for dumbass.com. <laughs> I'm sure it's free. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that's free. I would just say like don't use PayPal because with PayPal, it's like you can't take it off of their site. So are you actually getting Bitcoin then? Right. Or are you just getting like an IOU for Bitcoin? Yeah, I that, don't understand that sounds how like, their tech uh, backside works, but it seems kind of weird. Yeah, that sounds like uh, what do they? They used to do that with stocks, like the dumb shops. The I forgot what the name of it was. The bucket shops. You never heard of bucket oh, okay. shops? No, bucket shops. No. They were like casinos essentially, where people would go and trade stocks, but they never actually sold you the stocks. So they were just selling you like basically the right to own that stock, and they were just basically hoping yep. to capture vague on losses. Sounds like PayPal is the same thing where they're not actually selling you any Bitcoin. Yeah. They're telling you you bought it at this price and you've got it, but you can't really ever cash out. So it sounds like you just. Yeah, you have to cash out in fiat, which is like not how it works. Right. So you don't so actually. I don't know. You don't Maybe actually... I'm incorrect on that, but. That, but that's not all yeah. bad because I guess if you trust PayPal, that's almost like owning the GLD version of gold because you're not actually buying the Bitcoin but you're buying a, almost a futures contract with PayPal that they will give you the corresponding value in Bitcoin of your investment. Like, but you got to cash out on dollars. Sid wants well, to know about cash Well, and keep in mind app. that some people have been, <laughs> some people have been blocked off of PayPal already because of their political views. So I don't really know if PayPal is that trustworthy. Like if they're already being like, non-neutral as oh, so, a payment provider all right so let, let's go this way starting point i want to go buy bitcoin and i want to just keep it for myself or like you're saying i don't want to trust a site like coinbase so let's say dummy doesn't want to do the research wants to buy his <laughs> bitcoin what is the melissa rochelle three-step process for buying and holding your own bitcoin Sure. And I will just say for a legal disclosure, this is not financial advice. I'm a, a nerdy comedian, right? Um, so I'm not licensed in any sort of way. Um, but I have friends that are really smart and they kind of suggest like getting a wallet. An Exodus wallet is very versatile. They have a lot of different coins offered there. So you can do trading within the wallet, um, but you own the password and things like that. So if you can keep a password, this is a good route. Um, you could go to like a Bitcoin ATM and you can just put cash in and then you'll get a QR code and you just have that go onto that wallet. And then, you know, you're not going through a, like a third party website where you don't know if you really own it or not. That's an option. I mean, person to person is what it was intended to be. But if you don't know anybody that already is into it, then that might be a little bit harder. But obviously that's like the best. How come that there I can just send money to you right. if you have a comedy album and I don't need to 
you know, ask anybody for permission. I can just send it to you. How come there isn't yet, and maybe this just hasn't been invented, um, but the way you're describing it of being person to person, I would almost think, uh, how come someone hasn't like created a PayPal? I mean, not a PayPal, like an eBay type thing where you can start putting up just goods or services that you'll accept Bitcoin for, or even that you'll just sell someone dollars for Bitcoin. How come there isn't just a open market, you know, just peer to peer, not a Coinbase. You would think that if this technology was built off of that being in mind, there would be a service provider who just wanted to get the transaction fee on, hey, I'll sell you this mic for your Bitcoin. I mean, there are, there are, but they're just not as popular as Coinbase, right? So there's like BISC, they're a really good decentralized exchange, but they're a little bit harder to use. So if you're new, that's going to be probably very overwhelming. Um, Overstock.com, I believe, takes Bitcoin. I don't know if that's still true. Um, And then there was a site called Open Bazaar. I'm not sure if they're still active, but they were like a trading kind of place where you could pay essentially like Etsy, but they take crypto kind of thing. Um, So there definitely are sites. It's just they're not as, you know, recognizable. And you kind of have to be, you know, checking Reddit to see where they are and Twitter, that's another one. But now that Twitter's censoring a bunch, it's uh, hard to know what's going to happen with that. So there's actually a really cool social media website that's called Twitch. That is T-W-E-T-C-H. I know. These nerds are not great at marketing, but they're great at programming. (laughs) It sounds too much like Twitch, right? But it's a good platform. It's like Twitch for twats. <laughs> I'm sure that URL is already taken. <laughs> Twitch for twats. But, um, Sounds like a pedophile website. Twitch for twats. <laughs> oh jeez. Now we're gonna get banned off the internet. <laughs> um, <laughs> actually, no, that stuff doesn't get banned, so we're fine. Um, <laughs> isn't that weird? What a time we're living in. Um, but with all the stuff happening with Twitter, so Twitch is built on the Bitcoin Satoshi Vision blockchain. So there's three forks of Bitcoin. Technically, there's Bitcoin Gold, but no one really knows about it or knows why it exists. Um, So there's Bitcoin Core, which is BTC, Bitcoin Cash, which is BCH, and then Bitcoin Satoshi Vision, which is BSV. Um, So this one's built off of BSV. And BSV doesn't have the best PR because there's a guy in the community that's got kind of like an abrasive Trump-like personality. Um, but that coin has stable protocol and it's easy for businesses to build on top of the database. So it's going to be gaining a lot more popularity because it's so easy to use. Um, so Twitch is built on top of BSV, not BTC. That was the whole point of that. Um, but they have a interchangeable, I guess, product with Twitter. So on Twitter, you can actually tag a bot that will take a tweet and put it onto the BSV blockchain. So I know with all the censorship happening, some things were able to be moved onto the BSV blockchain before they were deleted from Twitter. And then if you post on their site, you can also have it go to your Twitter so that people can be like, what is this? And then they can kind of check it out. So it's a really cool platform. And I feel like you know, what happened with like Parler, all these people that are getting censored because they don't have their own servers. Like what you were talking about with things being decentralized, that's what's really cool building on top of these blockchains is that there's thousands of computers confirming these transactions all over the world. So 
you really can't stop it unless you know you shut down the internet of the whole world and if that's happening well we're already screwed right so i mean <laughs> just start praying at that point right, there's nothing so else you can do <laughs> a lot of the fascination with the crypto is with bitcoin and the one book i read about this was the bitcoin standard cars uh and car himself says bitcoin's real currency i love bitcoin i'm not interested in any other crypto now, the argument to be made for Bitcoin's great crypto is not, is that first Bitcoin is, um, Bitcoin, there's organic demand for it because it already exists in the market, has first market, um, first mover advantage. It's also the only one that's entirely decentralized. Like even Ethereum at one point, there was a, um, hack or whatever that they went and corrected, which is why I think Ethereum split. Bitcoin is the only one that's entirely mm -hmm. decentralized, which means you lose your Bitcoin, you fucking lost your Bitcoin. That's it. There's no parent that you can call right. up or organization you can call up that can make corrections to it. And since there's a, the value of Bitcoin is that there's demand for it, it's being used, and there's a finite amount. So unlike regular currency, which will always be worth, you know, is going to inflate, your Bitcoin's only going to become more valuable because there's a finite amount. That's the argument for Bitcoin. I am curious sure. to know your opinion sure. of, is there value to these other cryptos? Are there other cryptos that you like, that you're investing in, that you would recommend? Or are you uh, blockchain and Bitcoin only? Is that kind of where, where your interest lies? So, I mean, I don't know if your viewers know that there were like the forks of Bitcoin, right? So some people say that BTC is Bitcoin. However, BTC uses a second layer the lightning network. So that's really not Bitcoin. Like a lot of people that have been in it for a long time will be like, no, BTC is Bitcoin, but it's like, mm, they're not really following how the white paper works and they're not doing, they have a limited block size. So they only have one megabyte blocks plus whatever the lightning network uh, does now. So when you have a transaction, it doesn't actually settle on the blockchain. It settles on this second layer. And it's like, well, again, that's defeating the purpose of Bitcoin. The purpose of Bitcoin is like that the miners compete for solving these math puzzles and then they confirm the transaction and it's on the blockchain and it's timestamped. And so BSV does that. My understanding is Bitcoin Cash does that as well, but Bitcoin Cash is also capped. So I think they're at eight megabyte blocks, which is still pretty small about how many transactions Visa does every day. Like those are just really small options. And so BSV is the only one that's going to be doing unlimited blocks. So again, it doesn't have the best PR and a lot of uh, exchanges are not listing it, which is very weird. Um, so let me ask you this. It's the one. What, what, essentially yeah. just to kind of decipher this for people that have never heard about Bitcoin. One of the complaints with Bitcoin is that it's not very efficient. If I want to go buy something for you tomorrow, it might take 45 minutes before it's put into the ledger. And then there might have been already a change in price. So if I'm just trying to, uh, you know, uh, buy your ear pods, ear pods or whatever, right from your ears right now, I might have thought I was buying them for $40. Yep. And by the time it gets transacted 24 hours from now, it really cost me $60. 
The idea of Bitcoin Cash is, hey, we're yep. going to do things That's off. That's BTC, though. Right. So BTC <laughs> comes around and it goes, listen, we're going to do things off Ledger. So it's going to transact way quicker. We're not going to run into this slow transaction problem. And then we're going to import it to the Ledger later on. The advantage to some other Pretty cryptos much, yeah. is that uh, other cryptocurrencies might be better for like these small transactions because they can actually be done quicker. And so the one you're pointing to, you're saying, hey, this is the one I like for that purpose. But I feel like all the other cryptos, that's kind of the sale to the other cryptocurrencies. So why would you pick BSV versus like an Ethereum or a Ripple or any of the other ones? I think Ripple is one of the big sure, ones, well, right? Ripple is um, going through a lawsuit right now with, you know, the Securities and Exchange Commission. So nice. who knows what's going to happen to them? But they were bed with the banks. So I don't know. They were never really great for like, personal freedom and decentralization and i don't think i think they had a lim uh, an i don't think they had a limited supply so i think they were able to just inflate their coins so thumbs down right um and then ethereum was proof of work and then it moved to proof of stake which doesn't make sense why would you take the best way of verifying the transactions and then go to one that could be corrupted and more centralized that doesn't make any sense either so I mean, these things get pretty technical, but, um, and then it's just also like Dash was marketing themselves as a privacy coin. They're not private. Like there's certain coins that say they're privacy coins, but they, you have to go into the wallet and like enable the privacy features. People don't know how to do that. Like, so they think they're sending it without any problems and then Oh, actually, everyone so can see that transaction. What's the BSV so, advantage? So you pick BSV out from this, like, you start looking into the different cryptos. There's a long-ass list. So what about BSV yeah. attracts you? Well, the fact that the block sizes are not limited is okay. huge because then you can actually buy my AirPods and I can pay you and the transaction's going to happen right away on-chain. And the fees are going to be really low. That's the thing. Like BTC, it's really expensive. Like back in 2017, you know, people were paying like huge, huge transaction fees. And a lot of people are like, oh, that's not a problem. But all right. So it's I got digital a, gold. And I, it's like, no, it's supposed to be money. You're supposed to be able to use it for anything. So <laughs> like, I have a different question for you, though. So if the primary reason you like BSV is because it's better for actual using this as money and transactions... I feel like everything other than Bitcoin, that's their marketing claim. Hey, we're better for transactions. So of the list of the other cryptos, why do you like BSV the most? So there's a government in, uh, and I know that's not our favorite word, but there's a government in um, one of the islands off of Australia that's already using it for like their public records because it's quick, easy, and affordable to use. And there's also going to be like fractional real estate ownership happening on top of that chain. It's just well, because scary. it works properly, it's easy to build on top of it. There's a weather app already. There's a video game that just came out. You can't do that stuff on Bitcoin Core because it's too expensive and it's too slow and it's just too restrained. So even though they have like the brand recognition, you can't build on them. So, so here's, uh, yeah, they're going to be popular for a while, but it's not long term, you know? So here's the pitch for BSV. If you're trying to build off of blockchain technology, BSV is the best tech Go to, to be using. 
And then the other advantage yeah. there is that um, you have two ways. There are a couple different options if you're trying to get funding for your company. One of them is instead of offering shares, people like create their own cryptocurrencies. That's kind of a way that some people will go about. I, I get that you give it the thumbs down, but the utility of the BSV might be is that if I'm looking to piggyback their technology, there's already a built-in coin offering, I guess, that exists with it. And so you're saying that there, yep. there is some sort of a demand for that technology, so you think BSV will be ahead of the rest of the pact. Yeah, because like if you build something with a smart contract on top of Ethereum right now, then your little coin for your company is competing with all the other ERC-20 tokens, all the other cryptocurrencies, and it's just, it's fragmenting the communities. So if you build on BSV, you are, you're using one currency, it's consistent, it's easy to use, and you're already coming in with a community there. And they're really smart too. Like some of the smartest people in crypto are in Monero and they're in BSV. Like just, I was always friends with like the nerds in high school and I felt like an idiot because I was in like the top 10% and all my friends were in the top 1%. Like that's how I feel in BSV. All of these people are like brilliant programming minds. Like they're really well-versed in economics. Like they just understand a lot of really intense concepts. And the same with Monero. Monero is a really great privacy coin. It's the only one really that's popular that's private by default. You don't have to enable anything in the, you know, in the wallet. It's just private. It is a little bit centralized because it constantly updates its code to be private. But I mean, that's a brilliant community. Like it's people that have like PhDs in math and then they also are like professional musicians. You're just like, I don't understand how your brain works. Like, so those two communities have some of the most brilliant pre people in crypto. Essentially, hey, there's some fucking smart nerds over here doing it. So just do what the fucking smart nerds are doing. All right, not the worst advice. So yeah. Let's go. I, I do <laughs> I do want to wrap this up. I got about another 10 minutes. I already put Mike nice to sleep. Want to keep Sid Floyd awake because we are going to be <laughs> shed casting shortly. Um, okay. For people that are totally new to Bitcoin, I've had this conversation on the podcast once or twice before, but I do want to lay out the two things that are probably most exciting about it. In terms of a dollar appreciation, the argument for, hey, here's the upward potential of Bitcoin it's that it still isn't widely be there's there's upward demand for it. The supply is limited. Your institutional mm -hmm. investors haven't hopped in. Governments haven't hopped in. There's still a lot of demand for this thing. And as governments continue to print dollars and deface their currency, and this has a fixed amount and perhaps new technologies make it so that it's easier to transact with. There's a lot of upward demand here. So to even look at the current price tag of the 40K and going, hey, we're at the cap, most people who are invested in stocks just because that's the thing to do are not in Bitcoin. So your average mom and pop, when they're looking at their retirement portfolio, they're not in Bitcoin. The upward demand here is tremendous. So that's kind of the surface level argument for, you know, there's still a lot of potential for this thing. The thing that the libertarians like to really get behind, yep. and I'll kind of set you up, and then I'm sure you can, you know, I'll lob this one up for you, is people just like the idea that the chief thing that funds government is basically currency. The fact that there's demand for currency, they can continue to sell debt. And if you look at the internet 10 years ago, and the way it came out with information that wasn't yet available, 
Uh, Bitcoin is a new technology in which we have currency outside of government. We've never had that before. That's something that really excites libertarians. So why don't you explain that to the, the run your mouth fans? Um, geez, I don't even know. You're right. I mean, you're just, you're right on that stuff. Um, my family fled from like a communist revolution. And so we've seen the currency get totally, totally inflated to the point where people literally burn it to stay warm and they just don't even want it. It's in the streets. Like toilet paper is more valuable than the currency. And people in the U S have no concept of this because we're not really taught about it in history. And, um, if you try and tell them they're really not on board to listen, which is really unfortunate. So yeah, when you talk about like the $40,000 price being like really early still, it's, it's true. Like when I went back to visit, you know, where my family's from, you pay for something and it's like, Oh, you know, 4,000 foreign or whatever. And you're like, what that 4,000, but it's because the, the currency has been inflated so badly. Like you have to pay such large quantities. Like, People in other countries have had to come in with wheelbarrows to buy things because their currency is so inflated. And I think without the actual, like, the actual, like, physical imagery of something like that, people don't get it really because, you know, we do everything online and it's just uh, add a zero, take away a zero. But, I mean, we really are heading there. And um, the decentralized aspect is just, it's beautiful. Um, there's going to be a huge transfer of wealth within you know, however long it takes for them to totally ruin the currency and the people that are smart enough to kind of listen and pay attention to the warning signs are going to actually be okay and be able to feed their family and donate to charity and do all the things that libertarians have always wanted to do, but not all of them have been the best at monetizing, right? <laughs> but it'll be really exciting to see a lot of the power shifted away to people that are really caring and they're really grounded in principles and things like that so i'm excited for that aspect um the people i've met at like libertarian conferences are just the most kind people like during the crisis i have a friend that he goes out and he feeds the homeless like my friends that just expect the government to take care of them don't do that so it's going to be really exciting to see those people be the ones that are actually able to oh, that's, um, invest in new technology and make all these decisions, you know? That's a very, uh, that's a fascinating one because essentially what you're putting forward, part of why people argue we can't keep more of our money is that people are greedy. Um, but what you're basically saying is that a lot of people that would stand to make a lot of money if Bitcoin takes off might turn out to be really charitable. Um, and that will be a good insight for people is, Hey, when government's taking your money saying they're going to redistribute it, look, human beings can actually do a, a much more efficient job of giving charity. All right. So just to be fair here, I do want to lay out some of the risks of Bitcoin. And so I'm going to shoot off some of the current risks on the table and, uh, we don't have to spend too much time on any of these, but you can just address each of them. So the first one is the risk of whales, which okay. they're already discussing that a lot of the movement, even currently a Bitcoin is from single buyers. Like a lot of the transactions seem to be what they describe as whales of certain in, like wealthy individuals. 
Um, which means that as a investor like me, you're at risk for a pump and dump where maybe not Warren Buffett, but a guy like Warren Buffett decides, hey, you know what? I'm putting $10 billion into Bitcoin tomorrow. Obviously, that's going to spike the demand. It's going to move up. And then maybe a bunch of people go, holy shit, Bitcoin just went to $100,000. All these Wall Street idiots start pumping, piling into Bitcoin. Warren Buffett goes, ah, you fucking idiots, and he sells out. Good old-fashioned pump it up. <laughs> Comes really good from Warren Buffett because he gets to blast out an email. Hey, guys, I was wrong about Bitcoin. I was saying it was trash. This is the shit I'm getting right. in. And then he really gets to fucking pump and dump it on people. So to what extent do you think what we might be seeing at the moment or is there a risk of whales? For sure, which is why, you know, if you do day trading, you're going to be more at risk for something like that. But if you just kind of have it and treat it like a savings account, then you're not going to be as uh, affected by any fluctuations in the pricing. And if you are investing in it beyond the pricing, like I was talking about, like you're seeing businesses build on top of it and things like that, and you're seeing all the practical use cases for it, then you're not going to you know, have a heart attack every time the price does a correction like that. Because if you're investing in a coin that you believe in, hopefully that won't you know, it'll be too long term. So. All right. So the next risk that people need to be aware of is either everyone says, hey, nobody's got the computing power to hack Bitcoin. But if there's one person that did, it's probably the U.S. government. The U.S. government really put its infrastructure behind, hey, we want to hack Bitcoin and fuck up the value of this thing because it's suddenly hackable. They could probably figure it out. The other thing government could potentially do is at one point in this country, they did confiscate people's gold. They could go, hey, we're in the business of the U.S. dollar. We can't have people competing us in terms of currency. And they come in and shut it down. That's the other risk you put on your plate. So you as a Bitcoin investor, do you have some fear that, hey, we're actually trying to compete with U.S. government here? Uh, They might regulate it out of existence or hack it out of existence. Sure. So if they did try and do some sort of takeover in a proof of work coin like Bitcoin, they would have to invest in mining equipment and they would have to spend a lot of money and a lot of energy and time mining to be able to do that. So is it worth it for them? I don't know, Uh, because it's a lot of wasted resources and a lot of effort. So at least there's that disincentive towards them doing it. Um, Something like you know, Ethereum that's now moving towards proof of stake, it would be a little bit easier because they would just have to own more of the currency, but they don't actually have to, you know, invest in um, mining equipment that's only used for this purpose, you know, because it just, it doesn't have the financial incentive to make sense for them to do that without wasting a ton of money and energy. I'm not saying they won't do it. They've done some pretty silly things before. Um, but it just, it doesn't make financial sense for them to well, do it. it doesn't, and I think that's, if they did something like Monero is going to skyrocket like a privacy oh, coin. So if they start doing like gold confiscation stuff, privacy coins going to go way up. Right. Because then they don't really know you have it the same way. So like with Bitcoin, it's a pseudo anonymous ledger. Like you can't see your name, but you can see like the wallet address and like what the transaction was. And I think like the time, right. But like with Monero, they have all these mixers and they have all of this stuff on the back end so that they have ring signatures. They've got all this stuff where 
you don't really know whose was what. So if they try and do something like that and they try and regulate Bitcoin more and more, you're just going to see the price of Monero go up and well, any of the play, other privacy coins. Like to play Pirate devil's and, advocate. Even the ones that just market that way. To play <laughs> devil's advocate, I think the U.S. has fought some wars to keep us on the petrodollar. So the idea that we won't go to far extents to uh, secure the value of the U.S. dollar, that's not that they like if you look at it from a risk first reward, if Bitcoin is really devaluing the dollar, it will be worth government to get rid of Bitcoin. There's no expense that's going to be too large. We went to the fucking moon. We spent a lot of money doing that. Getting rid of Bitcoin is not going to be a lesser goal. On the same note, if the U.S. government takes down Bitcoin, I think people will all go, oh, shit, they might be taking that away all of our crypto. So while you're right that the next crypto might emerge, and who knows, maybe you're right, you can't beat the market. If the U.S. government gets to the point where they got to take down Bitcoin, everyone's going to be like, shit, we better be out of this fucking U.S. dollar currency because this thing's going to shit. And so, you know, it's going to be like whack-a-mole with the different cryptos. <laughs> um, but if anything... If that risk is really on the plate that the U.S. dollar does take out Bitcoin and they start with Bitcoin, you can make the argument, hey, you better sit this thing out, see who the U.S. government takes out, and then get in on the next one. But we're very in the land of fucking theoretical here. Well, we know, like, we know that governments are going to do their own centralized version of digital currency. There's already a term for it, central bank digital currency. Like, so we know they're going to just try and threaten or incentivize through threatening probably people to use their version instead um and you know so i don't know exactly what that would look like in that transition but um i don't yeah because bitcoin is decentralized um they're definitely going to try and just like i think they're going to put universal basic income on a centralized government version of one of these blockchain because it's too hard to send people checks or the direct deposit or this that the next thing right so i think it's just they're gonna get people so used to um like just getting their you know free money via their central bank version that that's probably going to be their biggest attack maybe i'm wrong i don't know it just seems like that's the like path of least resistance you know all right. Remains to be determined. Thank you so much for joining us, giving us a Thank little you. education on Bitcoin. Uh, before oh. I call in an episode, uh, anything that you got to plug or wanted to throw at the fans or run your mouth? Yes. So I have some friends that are really um, brilliant in the world of finance. They you know, do stock analysis, gold, crypto stuff. Um, so they have a conference coming up the 4th and 5th of February. It's going to be a Thursday, Friday. It's all uh, virtual. So you can find out more information about that at dollarvigilante.com and cryptovigilante.io. And um, so that'll be an option. My website is Melissa Richelle, R-I-C-H-E-L-L-E.com. Um, I haven't posted a ton of new jokes on there in a while because, hey, stuff's been closed um, and censoring. So, But there's some old stuff on there. All right. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining us. And uh, that's it. We did a fucking long ass run your mouth, yeah. turning it right over to the <laughs> shed cat. So go check that out. It's like run your mouth after hours. All right. That's it for us. Thank you. Uh, Melissa, thank you so much for doing it. Good. Good info. Thanks. It was great catching up with you. You as well. <laughs> How's uh? where are you living if you're not in Chicago? 
I'm kind of bouncing between different family houses in the Midwest, and I um, I don't know, maybe go to South Dakota, maybe go to Florida, maybe leave. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. So South Dakota seems cool. I've heard that they've to... got really loose financial laws. Right. I mean, I've never been, so who knows if I would like it or not. But I like horses, and they seem to have horses. So, so. you're just thinking about going to <laughs> rural ass nowhere, just because why? Why not? Maybe I just cities are really stressful now. Like they feel like prisons and you can't even perform. Like that was the whole reason to live in a city. So well, that's, I bounced out of New York to Connecticut for, for exactly that reason. But I'm uh, I'm yeah. itching for more stand up. It's driving me nuts. I know. And I've tried doing like, I tried doing a zoom show. It's just, it was weird. Yeah. Um, like you see your eyebrow moving while you're telling your jokes <laughs> and you're, you're like super in your head about it. I didn't like that. Um, and then they say, like, you know, leave, leave your sound on so the comedian can hear you laughing. But then we can also, like, hear your dog barking yeah, and it's, opening it's, chips and it's stuff. The worst. So. <laughs> All right. We got to turn this thing over. Thanks a lot. Have a good one. Good to see you. Good to see you.